This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Pitches swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Go Hayes. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy and blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live. I hope everybody is having just an absolute fantastic Wednesday as we have a monster day of baseball coming up here, 135. We're going to have game two of the NLCS. What a game it was last night down in San Diego. Philly takes the one nothing lead in the best of seven series. But to me, it's more than that. You win game one on the road? That's that that that's monstrous, right? You've got the Padres, all of this momentum going on. You're the Phillies. You got all this momentum going on. You got these two it factor teams coming head to head. But you're doing it on the road, knowing in your back pocket that you've got you've got your games back in Philly. And what do you do? You open up with a game one victory in San Diego. That's huge for the Phillies. And then you look at the series after that, which is going to start at 437. You're going to have the first series in the playoffs versus the Astros and the Yankees since the cheating scandal. A lot of talk has gone both ways since that time. Aaron Judge, if I remember correctly, stepped up in that and talked about how they shouldn't be World Series champions. You know, there's been Brian Cashman has talked about, well, you guys haven't been to the World Series, the Bronx Bombers. You haven't been to the World Series since 2009. He went, ah, where we cheated out of it in 2017. And then on the flip side of that, you've got the Astros side. Probably the more fascinating. The Astros side of this is redemption. They didn't get it against the Nats. This is their chance to get redemption. You know, they've been to the 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 ALCS six straight years. 
They've been to the World Series since the scandal. But they haven't won. This is their chance. I don't think they can ever redeem. I don't think they can ever make it go away. But I tell you what, time does heal. And this lines up for the perfect opponent for them. And I hate to even talk about it, but it is true. It really is the perfect opponent for the, um, got to get our last dive bar beer mug in here. I'm sad. We got we got the great, by the way, we're throwing out the great Dick Callahan coffee mug today. My dear friend, Dick, rest in peace. He was a good friend of mine, meant a lot to me. We got Dick Callahan up front. I don't know, Cody, I had this thing all wired when you weren't here. You show up like a bull in a china shop, and now everything's out of place. Well, we had to get the we had to get my computer set up to watch the uh, Padres and Phils. All of that, not not no. We didn't have to get one of your computers. We had to get two of your computers. Yeah, one for the show, one for the game. I mean, I got one that we can use for the show. I mean, you're, you're monopolizing the entire table and all that. Where's Jose? Can we get Jose back? Jose was over here when I got here. I don't know where, where where's his bat. I'm telling you right now. I had it all worked out, and now we now it's it's we're in shambles right now. This great set that I put together, I'll figure it out. Your shirt, though, by the way, you finally finally busted well, it R- out. Ricky's in the way, but yes, it is the Razor Ramon shirt. Bad guys last forever. Thank you, Cody. Goes into our great collection of T-shirts that we like to brag about here on uh, A's Cast Live. But getting back to the Astros, and we'll get to the guests in just a second. Uh, to me, it, it is, it's just, it's like the perfect scenario for them now. They could take down the Yankees. Per, well, perfect scenario would have been take down the Yankees, take down the Dodgers. Dodgers are out. They have no control over that. But for the Astros, this is their opportunity to take down the Yankees, shut them up, win another World Series, and then this core group of players Really what? Bregman, Altuve. Like, that's really it. Verlander. He was on that team. No, Verlander is not linked to that. Um, who else was on that really? team? Really? Why would you bring that up? I mean, he was on the 2017 it, team. Like, for a couple months, and he's a pitcher. I'm trying to think. Uh, Has anyone ever said anything about the scandal in Justin Verlander? No, but I think there's five guys remaining from the team. It's them, th- them three, yeah, Guriel. And who's the Who other nobody one? Nobody cares about. He has the most hits in the postseason for them right now. This is about Verlander and Bregman. And Altuve. I, I mean Altuve. Yeah, yeah, I mean Bregman, yeah. That's what this is about. Unless, I mean, if Correa would be the other guy. Yeah, I'm sure. Who's the other guy that's remaining? Tucker wasn't on. I mean, he was in the system, but he wasn't on that he, team. He doesn't count. Jordan doesn't count. Is anyone in there? Any of their other? Oh, McCullers. Yeah, the pitchers don't count. Yeah, so three position players. This was a this was an offensive cheating scandal. They unless they had one. Do I do we know something that I, is there something I don't know about it with the uh, pitchers? Uh, no, not that I know of. Not nothing's come out. No, no news has come out about that yet. Man, we got all kind. We got the we got our pitching ninja going today. Our buddy, the pitching ninja. We got a lot going today. All right, who we got? We got Tom Callis coming on. Yeah, Todd Callis the. TV voice with Blummer. Not Tom. Tom was the um, who's the old Philly Harry Callis. Yeah, uh, I think it's his grandfather. 
Uh, Todd Callis is coming on the voice of the Astros. Jim Callis, no relation, spelled differently from MLB Pipeline. Uh, he's been he was out in the Arizona Fall League, so we can ask him about the Ace prospects that are down there: Geloff, Soderstrom, and all that. Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. He's been he's been big on the Yankees playoff run so far with the Guardians. I believe he was covering the series. What do you mean uh, he's big on them? Well, he's I mean he's been covering the series. Oh, okay. And he's been talking about the pitching. Um, and then we have Shooty at three thirty. Nice, Callus one thirty from the Astros. Callus. <laughs> uh, I didn't even think about that till now. MLB Pipeline, uh, Jaffe at two thirty from Fangraphs, and the great Shooty Babbitt. Well, you know one stat that you know since you mentioned pitching that really stands out. You know, so many people don't want they don't want to talk about it. They they love them their their bullpens and everybody everybody's throwing a hundred miles an hour and up. Do you know what the Philly starters are right now? Uh, unfortunately, I have that stat. If you're if it's the same one, they're three and one in the one one seventy RA and thirty one thirty eight in the third innings. But how okay, smarty pants? How good is that? Um, that's really good. I mean, their bullpen has a three eight zero ERA, so clearly the starters are carrying them. Of the 250 clubs to play in the last six postseason <laughs> games in one year, only the 1920 Cleveland club, whatever the hell that I don't know, that was they were called 1920. Who was the Cleveland club in 1920? The Cubs had a lower ERA than the Phillies. They were then the Indians back then, 1920. Oh, they can't even put Indians in the notes anymore. How pathetic is that? Jeez. Um. Yeah, that's how good the starting pitching. So we can talk about Schwarber hits the hardest and longest home run of his career. Oh, the oppo jack by Harper. And by the way, uh, even though I am, I'll you know, even though I, I basically that first out by Bryce Harper, Cronenworth. Like as soon as he hit it, you're like base hit. No, Cronenworth's there. Makes a great play, but you're like that should have been a base hit in an RBI. I can't wait for that to be back. Oh, yeah. Especially- I, can't, I can't wait for regular baseball to be back. If you watched in the first inning, Harper ripped one that is going to be a base hit again next year, had been a base hit for all these years, unless you were really playing your second baseman over. And even if your second baseman was in the infield, that would have been such a hot shot. It would have been this one hopper. Um, I mean, it would have been a base hit RBI. But, of course, in the shift – it allows it, and it takes it away. That was one of my first thoughts yesterday was, I can't wait for this baloney. And you know what? Go back in history, folks. NFL, NBA, NHL have all changed defensive rules to make offense better. They all have. How defensive backs can play wide receivers is not the same way of the 60s, the 70s, hell, even in the 80s into the 90s. You can't. Hand check. You can't stick your elbow into guy. Have you ever watched a Warrior game lately? Go back and watch Last Dance, how they defended Michael. Do they defend Steph Curry the way they defended uh, Michael Jordan back in the day? No. No one has a problem with the rules like that. So, yeah, getting rid of the shift. That last night, that ball, Harper ripped that ball. Should have been a base hit, one nothing lead. Next thing you know, the Padres were getting out of it. Yeah, uh, Zach Wheeler, though, back to him real quick. Um, seven scoreless innings, gives up one hit, and pulled after 83 pitches. I uh, don't know 
what the thinking was there. Was it because of seven innings? But you got a guy like Wheeler who you're paying a lot of money to um, to be your your big game starter behind, and him and Aaron Nola. And for him to go seven scoreless, and to pull him now, Darvish pitched well too. But I don't know the Phillies bullpen. He pitched great. Yeah, do you pitch? Do you trust? What the did Phil- he do wrong? He gave up. He gave up a hanging slider yeah. to Schwarber. That's a solo shot. Gave up one run. The other thing he gave up was an oppo bomb. And the only reason why that was an oppo bomb is because it's so warm in California right now. It's ninety-five, according to Mike Farron, our buddy from Sirius XM Radio. Right now in San Diego, it's ninety-five degrees. Let me tell you something. If it's not that hot. That ball that Harper hit yesterday is a fly out to left field. So, you Darvish, he pitched a hell of a game. Yeah, he was – I mean, they were both – Both guys were fabulous. Uh, Bryce Harper homer in three straight games. He's hitting four oh seven in the postseason. Four who's, homers. Who's the last left-handed hitter to hit four straight in a postseason? I would say Bonds, but I don't think it's him. Daniel Murphy, you forget. Oh, with the with the Nats? Four straight – Or the Mets. Four straight postseason games with the Nats. No, actually, it would have been with the Mets. That's 2015. He would yeah, have been the, the Mets. Mets. So, you know, last night it was about starting pitching. And, by the way, it was a great game. It was a lot of good defense. I, we got all kinds of numbers on relief pitching. Relievers have been, I mean, if you, you, you look at what San Diego's bullpen's done. Houston's bullpen coming into this series hasn't given up anything in forever. Um, and they have no left-handed guys in their bullpen. Pod, Padres' bullpen has been fantastic, but last night's game was a great playoff game under three hours, dominant pitching, some clutch plays. That's what that's what you – I'm hoping this translates. I know I said this uh, the uh, on Monday. I, I know that it's not the big markets, but even though Philly is a monster market, I mean, who are we kidding? But – uh, it's not that it's not the Dodgers, it's not the Braves, it's not the number one seeds. I'm just really hoping that uh, this translates into something really special. And then, uh, pro- kind of just bizarre yesterday, the way the uh, ALDS ended. You know, you're wondering here. You got the Yankees saying, "Who's our second best arm?" Because our our best arm went the night before. Yeah, and Cole, who's going to pitch Game Three, probably. Who's our second best arm? Nestor Cortez Jr. Who was out there on three days rest? Nestor Cortez. And it, it is a, it's not a, in recent years we've seen, oh my God, we're going to pitch Kershaw on three days rest and you need Kershaw to carry the load. Right? Yeah. Kershaw was like, you got to go out and be like Josh Beckett. And that Josh Beckett moment, is that 03? Yeah, the Marlins. 03, game six, Yankee Stadium. Josh Beckett goes in there and shoves it down the Yankees' throat on three days rest. Jack McKeon was a ballsy move. Trader Jack. Loved it. Um, but this th- this was not that. Nestor was, all right, man, we need 27 outs. Give us as many as you can. Whether it's one inning, two innings, three innings, four innings, we're not going to bank on anything. We're just going to say you're our second-best arm. We're throwing you out there. Go get us outs. And we're going to have a bunch of guys ready to come in and, and fill in for you, but just give me everything you can. Give me everything you can. 
and Nasty Nestor went out there and absolutely dealt. You could even say, if you're saying Wheeler went out early, you could even say Nestor went out early. He had 61 pitches through five innings, and he got pulled. Now, the other side of this, and I told you what – I told you about this. I heard. I was listening to Tom Hamilton's call going into the ninth inning, and Tom Hamilton brought up how Shane Bieber wanted to pitch Game Five yesterday, and apparently Tito Francona and their pitching coach Carl Wills, uh, Carl Willis, said that they don't want to jeopardize his career because he's coming off the injury last year, and he has a pl- he has plenty of time left to pitch in big games. Essentially, was paraphrasing, but it was based off the injury he had last year, and they don't want him to pitch on short rest. And I said, Nasty Nestor's doing it. Let me ask you a question. He didn't just win a Cy Young two years ago. Why are you even bringing up the manager and the pitching coach? Not true. It's coming. From I, I don't even know why you're bringing them up. The The Guardians, I know this for a fact, are a very analytic-driven franchise. I've got firsthand knowledge on how they operate. Can't tell you why, but I can just tell you that if you think Terry Francona and the pitching coach. What's his name? I think it's Carl Willis as the pitching coach. Carl Willis? Let me make sure. Carl, yep, Carl Willis. If you think that they're making that call, you, you're buying that? No, no. I, I know better than most that it's coming from the people yeah. above them. They, they're mapping these games out, man. These games, except like last night. Last night's game wasn't mapped out. Last night's game was a traditional baseball game where you said, "All right, we've got two. two we got two of the best pitchers in baseball. They both went seven innings. I mean, they're fantastic. Wheeler eight strikeouts. Uh, Darvish seven strikeouts. Both guys walked just one. That was that was two managers saying these are our two best guys. Let them go." No one was getting pulled in the fifth inning like the Dodgers, which we got to we we've got to get more into that. Um, I got I pulled Andrew Friedman's audio. You sent that me. sent you, yeah. yeah. So Andrew Friedman had his press conference, and I actually appreciated it. I'm shocked. I I I I, well, I, I don't want to get off track here, but yeah, uh, we will do a little bit of the Dodgers press conference. And the reason why we need to do that, and I know some people might say, you know, why are you going to keep talking about the Dodgers? They're a historic team, folks. They won 111 games, and they bowed out like chumps. Like chumps. Like, if you go, like, they win game one and then lose three straight, they they, – they, I don't even know what they look like. Now, I was thinking about it last night, taking my nightly walk around the park, and I was, like, thinking about going, who were these guys? Because I have an article here, the three questions of what the Dodgers need to do for next season. And I'm just thinking, who were they? Where was the swag? Where was the confidence? And and did they not realize that the team in the other dugout was frothing at the mouth to kick their ass? That that whole city, they were, like, keeping Dodger fans out of the stadium? Like, this was, like, this was a fight. And like they came in, not not they they thought it was like an exhibition. They didn't hit. Their pitching was questionable. Their offense stunk. And oh, by the way, speaking of offense stinking, anybody shocked that the Padres didn't bring anything to the party last night offensively? No. 
Me, if I know a lot of you out there who are going to be watching this today didn't follow the Phillies or the Padres that much, okay? I get it. Phillies have been a hodgepodge. Dave Dombrowski, one of my favorite guys in this game, one of the great front office guys, is going to be in the bait. You know, you talk about we always like to put people in the Hall of Fame. He will be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's the only man ever to take three different franchises as the leader of the franchise. I don't know what his title is now. Um, they have everybody has. I mean, yeah, Sam Folds a GM, so I think he might be the direct, uh, VP of baseball. I ops. couldn't even tell you. Is he president? Is he PBO or what is he? He is the president of baseball operations for the Phillies. President, so he's PBO. Uh, president yeah. baseball operations. Yeah, and then Sam Folds a GM. Back when he was with the Marlins, he was the GM. When he got, remember when the Tigers were beating the A's in the playoffs, he was the GM, or he wasn't even the GM then. He was vice president. Of yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's been running these organizations. Then the he, Red Sox. He's he won the World Series with the Red Sox. I, what was his title then? I think he. Well, I think he was the. Oh, was he the GM? I don't know. He wasn't the chief baseball officer like uh, our guy Hein Bloom is. Was it the CBO? <laughs> Uh, let's see. I swear to God, the, these these things are ridiculous. Let me see what it says. Um, according to Wikipedia, you can believe everything you read on Wikipedia. He was named the president of baseball ops. He was for the Red PBO. Sox. Yeah. All right. So as a general manager or PBO in baseball, he's the only guy ever to lead three different franchises to the World Series. He was the president for the Tigers too. <laughs> so realize this: if he can get Philly, which by the way their odds just went way up. Hey, he gets. He's the only guy with three. He gets Philly there. Be the, he'll be the only guy four different franchises. Yeah. There's only 30 franchises, and he's taking four of them to the World Series if he takes Philly to the World Series. And that, when, that's incredible. And if he wins, that's three out of four he won with. That's pretty impressive. And the only one he didn't, didn't win with is the Tigers, who were he built great teams. Yeah. We experienced that. Who they lose to? They lost to the Giants and the Cardinals, I think, are the two teams they lost to. They lost to the Giants. 06 was the Cardinals. And the and and which which year did they have to sit and wait? Um, one of the years they were one of the teams that had to sit and wait. Well, it wouldn't have been Who cares? It doesn't matter. I would say it wouldn't have been it might have been two thousand six. But anyway, the Phillies are this hodgepodge group of guys that they throw them together. I mean, they they. I, what did they lose in the last month? They were because remember when I was tracking teams for my fifth inning hit, um, no, for the third inning hit about teams that are falling apart in the second half and falling apart late. Do you remember that? Yeah. Philly was one of them, and I remember I did a report. Philly at one point in September, I want to say, had lost. Go look this up. I think Philly lost ten of thirteen down the stretch. I can tell you what their record was in September. Their record in September this year was 11 and 14. Yeah. They stunk. Like, they backed into the postseason. But you just need to get in. But they've come together, right? I keep saying it. Now, we just had their McCarthy was the guy, their play-by-play guy. Tom McCarthy, yeah. And he agreed with me. They're like the summer ball team that at the end of summer, they've come together, and now they're like the toughest guys to beat. So that's Philly. San Diego, San Diego, super talented. And the, you know what they are? They're a Bob Levin, they're a Bob Melvin led team. They don't beat themselves. They play good defense. They pitch. You know what they don't do? 
They don't score runs. They literally are a passive offensive team other than a guy named Manny Machado, who Manny Machado should get a lot of MVP votes. If he doesn't get a lot of ones, he should get a lot of twos and threes. Manny should be top three MVP in the voting. The, he should be two. A Goldschmidt's going to win it. Manny should be two. They were 13th in baseball in run scored. They scored 705 runs in the regular season. So, eh, middle of the pack. Just ahead of the Guardians who don't hit home runs. And, and the famous Bob Melvin speech where he, like, lit into them because, I mean, Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist had it, said they're the most passive team. They don't swing when the balls are outside of the zone. And then they don't swing when they're inside of the zone. They just don't swing. And then they added Juan Soto. And Juan Soto has turned into an absolute train wreck. Yeah, he's not. He isn't any good. He's all, all my buddies. As everybody knows, I grew up in San Diego. So all my buddies are big Padre fans. Like, they're all pissed at me that I'm not, like, going goo goo gaga. I'm like, eh, that's cool. Um, that what they don't know is that I've been a Philly fan for all this how long have I been a Phillies guy? You've been a Phillies fan for about four months. I mean, I've I've been I've been like the Philly fanatic for four. These are my Phillies. They're like my babies. Yeah. Who's your baby? Yeah. Did you see Glaber Torres it when the game ended? Yeah. How did that work? <laughs> now? Did you see all the Yankees wives on Twitter? Yeah. Were doing that. Um, that's the whole thing. I saw. I can't remember. There's a guy that I think we had on on Twitter who talked about. I love this. It's got everybody talking about it. This is. It's like. What we saw, what's his name, threw the bat down. Oh, Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins, that was fabulous. Everybody should be talking about that. What Naylor did was just poor taste. And if you think poor taste is what we need to sell in our game, or any game, it's why football went to Tawny. Yeah. Football. The NFL. The number one business in America. When it comes to entertainment, forget sports. Is there anybody in the entertainment business in the United States of America bigger than the NFL? No. Forget sports. I'm talking the entire. There's no concert series. There's no. Wrestling. There's none of them are bigger than the NFL. They got rid of Tawny. It's bad for business. This guy was trying to sell Naylor early. You've kind of Deion Sanders on that. That means he's got a quick back pedal. (laughs) No one, no one was better than Dion. By the way, have you seen the latest Athlac where they they had the goat and Nick Saban goes the goat and he Dion goes oh you talking about me oh no uh, Nick I think Saban I have. Nick, Nick I wow Nick Saban actually shows a personality in his uh, commercials I like Nick Saban. and I love me some Dion I love me some Dion he's uh he's doing I, I haven't looked at the record this uh, lately Jacksonville he, State or, yeah whatever Jackson State he's doing a great job down there Sons was it Jackson State or Jacksonville State um. Let me see. Dion. He's coaching at Jackson State University. Jackson State. Where is Jackson State? Is it Florida? Um, let's double check. The Jackson State Gamecocks are the Gamecocks. The ja- No, this is Jacksonville State. Sorry. Um, give me a second. I'll find it. See, you're terrible. So, and then you trade for Soto, and you're the Padres. You're like, your offense is just, it hasn't been good. Bob Melvin, there's a famous speech. Mississippi. 
to Mississippi. Yeah. Bob Melvin, I don't know when it was. Was it in September or August where he lit into these guys? He lit into them. Basically called them soft. And then the Padres got hot again, got in the postseason, and this is where they are. But Padres not scoring runs. They've gone long periods of droughts. As, as Cody said, they're middle of the pack. As a playoff team, to be middle of the pack, what does that tell you in runs? Uh, you're not going to score runs in the postseason? Tells you got to be good at other stuff. Yeah. You got to play defense. You got to pitch. You got because you're not going to, you know, because right now, like the Yankees in the postseason, take a guess. You might, you might even go over on this, knowing you. What do you think the percentage of their runs are off home runs? 51%. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not. 80. 80%. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm oh, sorry. I was thinking of the regular season. 80%. 80. The Astros are 77. Yeah, 80. It's like, it's like wow. They hit, they hit nine home runs versus the Guardians and hit 182 as a team in the series. So, it, it's – it's it's uh, last night was great. I, I, I thought the Guardians game was bad. You know, it was – to me, I didn't, I, I didn't go out look at the measurements, but I know Stan – if you were – let's just say we are playing at a normal field, a more, let's say, non-Yankee Stadium bandbox right field. If Let's just say we were playing in Oakland. Stanton's home runs and out. Yeah, I remember we were talking about this. And I there, there's so many things in that game. And then, and then I you know what? You, you know what? You keep talking. Just I, I just to, to prove myself, I want to say – Stan, if we're playing in Oakland, and uh, you can kind of consider us a big ballpark, but I'm saying those two home runs that were the difference in this game, and and by the way, that's why you have home field advantage. Yankees have home field advantage. They've always used it to to their uh, to their favor. Totally understand. I respect it. I'm not going to hate on them, but they were too, in my in my opinion. As a former pitcher, they were both two rinky-dink flyball home runs. Let's see. Giancarlo Stan's home run. Where do I get the distance? Um, It might say it in the bottom where they have, like, all the box scores, like doubles and home runs. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find that on Baseball Savant. Because to me, they were just – they were not – they were just they were routine fly balls to right field, and, um, and that changed the game. According to Baseball Savant, that home run would have been out and gone at seventeen different ballparks. It looks like Stanton's. Yeah, no way. I mean, it's what it says. Seventeen. No, including the Coliseum. Way. No, how far was it? Get me the down and distance. Um. You're going to have to give me time to get that. Let me call Todd Callis first. Oh, hey, let's break. I got to get get some. Coming up next, we got Todd Callis from the Houston Astros right here on A's Cast Live. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty, uh, Jim Callis. Todd. Todd Callis. Why do we keep saying Jim? Jim Callis is at 2 o'clock. I've had Todd Callis on. Yeah, oh, that's a- right, because we have Jim. That's why he keeps saying Jim. Yeah, he's coming at 2 o'clock. Because I've been having uh, Jim on my entire, God, I've not my entire career. I've had Jim on for years. Quickly, before this game starts, over under five and a third for Blake Snell today. We both said, we both did that last time. It was a push. It was a push. <laughs> I know. I remember I played bookie. We went to Townie's, we went to Townie's little bookie shop. I set the over and under on five and a third. And and soon as five and a third hit and he was taken out, who's the first person I called? Me. Couldn't believe it. We we everybody got to get everybody got to turn their, their uh, ticket back and get their money back. Who would have thought? And wasn't that incredible? Yeah, it's gonna be I'm gonna say push again. It's, it's ninety one in San Diego right now. Oh, yeah, the Farron oversold 95. Jim Bowden acted like he was in Arizona in the summer. But it's going to be warm <laughs> in San Diego, no question. I know that uh, – and Todd is with us. Todd, they're going to clo- – I, I saw BP earlier today. The roof was open. Are they going to have it open or closed for the actual game? No, it's closed. Um, I'm not sure about tomorrow because tomorrow's supposed to be a little bit warmer. But when we uh, get the temperatures down in the 50s here in Texas, they close that sucker up. Well, I tell you what, the backstory on this on this series is so juicy on both sides. Uh, going back to 2017, all the things that the Yankee people have said, and we just talked to our buddy Blummer, Jeff Blum, about this, and I want to get your take. I mean, this sets up exactly the way you want it as the Astros. It's like, all right, you guys talked a lot. Let's get her on, and if you want redemption – I mean, for the Astros trying to, you know, for some of these guys, they don't need to, but to try and clear their name and to knock the Yankees out, this is exa- isn't this exactly what you want in front of you if you're if you're the Houston Astros? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good storylines for sure. The fact that you know they haven't uh, beaten up the Astros since 2015, the wild card game that year, or 17 or 19 again in the ALCS, uh, and here we are again in 2022. So. A lot of matchups between these two teams in the postseason. The Astros uh, were able to sweep Seattle in a very tough series while the Yankees had to go the distance and had a couple of rainouts in the mix, so no off days for them, uh, three off days for the Astros. So everything's kind of shaped up here in the postseason, including all those National League powerhouses getting knocked out. Everything's kind of shaped up the way the Astros could have hoped. Yeah, you know the funny thing, it's like people start talking about, oh, my God, they're playing. Well, this is how we play throughout six months of a season. We're used to playing – X amount of games a year. My God, for the A's, we had 17 straight. 
couple times we had 16 straight. It's like, let's strap it on, let's go. The only reason we have all these days off is really because of television. And I got to think for the Astros, just, w- 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 you know, having this time off, they got to just be raring to go for this series. Yeah, I think they're definitely ready to go. And I think once you get to the postseason, the managers uh, play things differently, obviously, with their bullpen. So uh, those days off become like gold in the postseason. So this year, without the off day between games five and six, you, know, you go straight through games three through seven, it'll be advantage to the team that's deeper in the bullpen. And right now, not only are the Yankees uh, not as deep as the Astros on paper, but they've been used up a lot more coming into this series. So I think that uh, is a big advantage for Houston as well. But, yeah, you're right. In terms of the team being ready, three days off after waiting five days after the regular season, so they've only played three games in the last 11 days, uh, those offensive players are ready to go. Now, obviously, these numbers are a little skewed because of a long extra inning game against Seattle, but they are impressive. In October, one run, 20 and a third innings pitched for the Houston bullpen. Once again, one run, 20 and a third with 23 Ks. That's a 0.44 ERA. So you talked about bullpen. I think you're feeling pretty good if you're the Astros with the pen. Yeah, there's no doubt. And that one run was allowed by Christian Javier, who was probably their best starter for the last month of the season and more than likely will be available in the pen tonight. But beyond that, he'll probably be used as a starter in game four for the Astros. So of all the guys that are truly the relievers in that pen, nobody allowed a run. And uh, they are so deep now, one through 13. They just added another reliever, and Seth Martinez, another righty into the mix as the Yankees have a lot of right-hand hitters in their lineup. Uh, They are as deep of a bullpen as I can ever remember, as deep of a pitching staff as I can ever remember uh, for the Houston Astros since I've been here and maybe in, in their history. You know, what's funny about Verlander is that some of his postseason numbers aren't that great. Like, if you take his numbers against the A's and the Yankees out, but once you put the A's and Yankees in, he's dominated us and dominated the Yankees in the postseason. So the team he's got going tonight, the team he's facing tonight, I whenever Verlander sees that intercrossing in wide, his eyes light up. He's been fabulous against the Bronx Bombers. No, you're spot on, and you know that, unfortunately, too well out in Oakland with what happened out there with Verlander as a Tiger. But, yes, his his two teams that he has dominated by far the most in the postseason have been Oakland and New York. And for whatever reason, uh, the, the Yankees usually come in as one of, if not the best offense in the American League when he's had the success against them, but it just hasn't mattered. Verlander got hit around again by Seattle. He ha- it happened to him just once out of six starts against the Mariners in the regular season, then they got him in the postseason in game one. Uh, but Yankees and A's postseason, Justin Verlander usually dials it up with a pretty good start. Now from the Yankees side, let's face it, Aaron Judge talked about, hey, I got robbed of an MVP. They've talked about being robbed of going to the World Series. Brian Cashman, when they said to him, they questioned Brian, who's you know one of the greats of all time, but they said, hey, you guys haven't been to the World Series since 2009. Cashman said, well, we kind of got cheated out of it in 2017. So is there any more talk about that from the Yankees side going into this, or has there just not been enough time for that to resurface? (laughs) I don't think there's been enough time for that to resurface, but uh, there's certainly no love lost between these two organizations based on not only some of those comments, but just the fact that they've gone head-to-head so often now in the ALCS. So you know that you're going to get your best Yankee shot. I know every year – 
uh, since Aaron Judge has been with the Yankees. He has made sure he has stayed in the dugout for an extra beat or two after the Yankees have been eliminated and soaked it all in, saying, I don't want to have this feeling again. And as you mentioned, they have not been to the to the World Series since 2009. And the Astros would like to continue that streak going beginning tonight. And the one guy you got rolling, and the big boy is special. And we, we talk about him uh, and give him great love here. Jordan Alvarez, I mean, obviously, I, I think Altuve someday will have a great shot to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll see how Bregman's career shakes out, but... Jordan Alvarez is so special, and when you start doing it in the postseason like he did against the Mariners and he's done so far in his career, he's only 25 years old. Just talk about how special this kid is. He's amazing. He's by far, Altuve said during the regular season on one of our uh, postgame interviews, he's the best hitter I've ever been around. And when you think about some of the players Jose Altuve has played with, that's a pretty high compliment. He is um, – as you know, 25 years old, he's got an incredible knowledge of the strike zone. He rarely leaves the zone. And once you come into the zone, he can handle lefties, righties. He hits more change-ups out for home runs than anybody in baseball. So uh, he's not just sitting on a fastball. Sometimes he gets his change-up and gets it. Uh, he's incredibly smart. The thing I love about Jordan that, I, that people will start to see here in the next three to five years is he's a much better defensive player than they give him credit for. He's never going to be a gold glover out there in left field, but his arm is elite, and he covers enough ground, especially in that small left field at Minute Maid Park, that he's fine out there. And also, he's a really smart and very good base runner. Once he gets rolling, he hits 29 feet per second, sometimes more than that, and that's close to elite speed in the, in the major leagues. For a guy who's a, the size of a, a big linebacker, he can really – uh, get around the bases. So, yeah, I, I love everything about this kid, especially the fact uh, that he's going to be around to at least 2028 with his recent contract extension. Now, a lot of people may not know this. I, I just I, I picked this up and I thought, oh, interesting. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of Barry Bonds around in the Bay Area. Obviously, the Giants have honored him, all their ceremonies. Barry shows up. One guy that we don't see a whole heck of a lot of is Roger Clemens, the great right-hander. I love Roger Clemens. I wore number 21 playing college baseball because of Roger Clemens. And he's going to be throwing out the first pitch. Obviously, what he did with the Yankees, winning World Series titles, and greatness pitching for the Astros, too. What did you think when you saw that and seeing the Rockets going to be throwing out the first pitch? We don't see a lot of Roger Clemens anymore. No, I mean, he's not around maybe out in the Bay Area, but he's around here a bunch. Um, he comes into to a lot of games here at Minute Maid Park. He has filled in on the radio a few times when uh, Steve Sparks has missed games. And I see him at a, a lot of golf tournaments in the area. When his son Cody made the major leagues this year, he kind of did the tour for the first few weeks when Cody was a big leaguer. So uh, we run into Roger a lot more than you would think. So he, even though you may not see him out there, he's a big part of the Houston sports scene. And we see him quite a bunch down here. I'm glad we should. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. It's ridiculous that he's got seven size bonds has seven MVPs and they're not in the hall of fame. I mean, you can't tell me Roger Clemens is not good for the game of baseball and, and seeing more. I mean, I wish I knew that. I, we love Sparksy. If a Sparksy was out, I'd love to hear Roger Clemens do radio. <laughs> 
Yeah, no doubt. He's a legend. And it is crazy to think about the fact that the guy with the most home runs in baseball, the guy with the most Cy Youngs, and the guy with the most hits, none of them are in the Hall of Fame. But that's a, another story for another uh, call. Oh, yeah, the Astros got bigger issues than that. So we'll let that go. Uh, congr- hey, congratulations on the success this year. And I, I, because I, of the A's, I can't tell you good luck. But uh, we will be watching. You know, it's kind of one of these things. We don't like either of you guys, so it is what it is. Somebody's got to win. But <laughs> we're going to be watching. It's going to be really interesting and uh, going to be a good series. So have a great call, and thank you so much for the time. And if you move on, let's do this again for the World Series. I'm uh, in. No problem. And, and yeah, it's a tough call for any A's or Mariners or any fans uh, in the American League. Who do you want, Astros or Yankees? Because they're kind of the two villains of yes, baseball. Yes, right? But, uh, it's just a yeah. reality. It's like it's easy with the Padres and Phillies. You can't hate either <laughs> or, right? But when it's right. Yankees, Astros, it's like, my God, it is what it is. Exactly. All right, let's talk again. Thanks. Have a good call. Thank you, sir. Right? I hate the Yankees. I hate the Astros. I could do my Bush League line where you know what I do in a game like this. You hope both teams lose? No. Oh, what is it? I root for injuries. Oh, God. <laughs> but you can't you can't do that. You can't say that on a show. I'm trying to think if there's any, any former A's we can report. Uh, Frankie's on the ALCS roster. Frankie Montas from the shoulder injury. Luchavino. Because that – I know you mentioned to me, like, hey, we didn't talk about Frankie. I'm like, he's, he's got a shoulder injury. He's out. Didn't even – has there been any news on Frankie before we even found out? He's And by the way, that's kind of something that's, I would say, helped the Yankees. Are these rainouts and the fact that they show up today, not a whole lot of media availability, so they don't have to talk about their past comments? Because if we would have had, what, two days leading up to – it would have been, what, two days? Yes. So for two days, Aaron Judge has stand up. Hey, remember when you said that Altuve shouldn't have been the MVP in 2017? Hey, uh, remember when Brian Cashman said that you guys should have been in? They would have to answer all these questions for all the stuff they've said in the past. They're not having to do that because you're going straight into a game. So actually, this I would say, as we talk so much about, oh, like what Naylor with the baby, and he has to to face this in – in New York, New York's getting a pass down in Houston because they're not going to have to answer about all the old comments about the cheating scandal. Yeah. L- at least at least that's what – I mean, I can't imagine – I mean, they flew in last night, Manny Machado with a rope down the line, going for two. Manny Machado will be nice in slide. there with a double. Good slide by Manny. In the first inning with two outs. A shocker – What? What what did what did the what did the best hitter in baseball do? Double. No no no. Oh Juan Soto. Juan oh. Soto is the greatest oh. player to have ever played the game. Uh well he didn't walk so he didn't get on base so well he's not on base so clearly he what did he do? I was listening to Jose Alvarado earlier today on with the pregame show on Sirius XM with uh, Mike Farron. Jim Bowden. Kevin Franzen. And the great Kevin Franzen, one of the great San Jose State Spartans. And uh, Alvarado called Soto the going up against the best hitter. And I'm like, does this guy, does he just have everybody, everybody fooled? 
How, like, like what? We're going to have to do a deep dive on this. Just, you know what? The two, two guys that I think we, I think we owe it to the public. We got to do a deep dive on two guys. Juan Soto and Jacob DeGrom. I've already started the DeGrom one. Boy, it's interesting when you really scratch the surface on who Jacob DeGrom is in his career, other than strikeouts. Innings pitch is not going to be on your side. Well, not at all. He only has, like, what, 1,300 career innings? Not. Like, we, like there, there was a thing you, you, you sent to me. He sent me this thing on Kershaw. Like, Kershaw has, like, well over 100 more starts. And the end, he's like, it's not even, it's like, it's not even in the same ballpark. But DeGrom, but uh, Soto, first at bat today, what'd he do? Ground out second base. This guy, he hasn't hit. And, and, and last night, I got suckered in. I don't know why I stayed watching it. By the way, the Fox postgame show with A-Rod, Poppy, and Big Hurt was awful. It was on mute when I was watching, uh, where I was at because they had that on and they had the, the Dubs, Warriors, big win and opener, uh, season opener, ring night. Sorry, I'm a baseball guy. I'm watching the baseball. And I, I they, they played a game, Know Your City, and clearly they just don't really have a clue about, like, life. Um, they put up Ron Burgundy – because they're doing stuff because it's San Diego. So I guess they're going to do this in Philly, too. They started putting stuff up like they had no clue. They had, like, literally no – they had – if you saw a dinosaur made out of Legos and the question was, which theme park is this in San Diego, <laughs> what would you say? Legoland? They had no clue. None. Not zero. Like – and I, I'm like – have you not heard of Legoland? I thought Legoland was kind of famous. Not here to defend these guys, but all three of those guys were mainly American League. Well, all all they were always an American League guy, so they didn't really come to San Diego. But you got to, I mean, you don't know Legoland. They've, I guarantee they've both been to San Diego more than you. Yeah, probably. Um, then it was like they put up Ron Burgundy. They had no, they couldn't even pick out the, they couldn't even pick out Anchorman. I mean, that's a pretty popular movie. I'm just like, they couldn't answer any of the questions. It's like, it's like it really goes to show, like, these guys live in hotels, live in their bubbles, make millions, and chase women and do their own little deals, and they don't, they don't, they don't see sites. They don't know cities. They don't know any. Like, it'd be funny. I can't wait till they do Philly. Throw some history stuff out there. Watch how they'll be not be able to answer any historic. Could, I mean, if we if you throw out the Liberty Bell, would they at least be able to figure that out? I hope so. I mean, there's some historic stuff in Philly. I right? mean, cheat, you got Pats and Geno's. I mean, will they know about that? I don't. I don't know. I mean, literally, a little like San Diego Zoo is a world famous zoo. It's called the world famous San Diego Zoo. Most people know about it. They just showed, like, animals, and Poppy went, zoo. It's a zoo. Like, he, he couldn't even put, like, they can't. It's like, are these guys just not that bright? Like, they couldn't. They have, they were asking all these, like, easy questions. You know, what if they did stuff in San Francisco? I mean, could they get the Golden Gate Bridge? Could they get Alcatraz? I mean, 
I don't know. It, it like, seems, how do they not get Anchorman? It seems That's like. A, how old is Anchorman? Is it that old? It came out in the mid-2000s. And they're players. They're constantly on planes. You'd think they'd seen all the movies. Yeah. It's like a, it, it seems like this is a play on um, the NBA on TNT with Chuck, Ernie, and, and Shaq and uh, Kenny the Jet Smith. They play a game with uh, they play the a game with uh, Barkley. If, if he can name which player, who the player is, and what team he plays for now. So like they did like the Holiday Brothers last night. And he was like, you know, you knew they played for this team, but he's like, what team are they on now? And I, the volume was off, so I didn't know. But I think Shaq got all of, or uh, Barkley got all of them wrong. There's five of them, and I don't think he got one of them right. Like I, I think they kind of just play that game, and I can't even think that's what they're trying to do with those three guys on the Fox set to kind of counteract because that was going on at the same time that that was going on on TNT because that show is like the number one sports show. I'll tell you this, though. There's one thing. I, I, I end up watching it just because I, I, it, it's a train wreck. It's bad. It's a, it's a laugh track, too. But the one thing they're all like, they all look at Soto and they go, I don't know what happened. They keep using the word he needs to turn back into a predator. He needs to turn back into an aggressive predator because right now, He's on, he's on, like, standby mode. He will not swing. And then when he does swing, it's half, half, you know what. I want to say half-ass. They're terrible. They're terrible. I mean, I, I, I don't, like, I know my guy Mike Petriello's watching this. Mike Petriello, I guarantee you Ted Williams never looked like this. You want to call it a different era? What a, Ted Williams, I guarantee, never looked like this. No. He's, you just got to look at his slug. Look at the slug of Ted Williams. All righty, coming up next, we're going to find out what Jim Callis thinks about the A's in the Arizona Fall League. Our baby A's next, right here on A's Cast Live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, it's great to have Jim back on the program. Jim, how have you been? Uh, good. How are you guys doing? We are doing well as it uh, looks like the Phillies are starting to get it going here down in San Diego. They got two on, two outs, uh, actually two on, nobody out in the second inning. Hey, before we get into anything A's, I want to ask you some questions that we've noticed this season. Now, obviously, coming out of COVID, 
and he had the alternate site, and he had so many minor league players who just did not play. Guys that were getting drafted, they didn't have a whole lot of time in college and high school. It's just been a, a weird period. And we saw organizations just not stretch guys out. And then you have the lockout this year. But even like the A's at some point, we started stretching our guys out. One organization, and I don't know if you follow this with the Dodgers, they just have not been stretching at the lower level their guys out at all. Like if you start, you're going to get credit for a start, but you're only going two innings at the most three and now we're watching what they do at the big league level in the playoffs. They pull everybody so early. Uh, what is going on with someone like the Dodgers to where nowhere in their system is anybody giving you any type of innings? Well, I think those are two separate issues. Um, one, you know, and Dodgers maybe do it more extreme. I do think teams have been really cautious with how to handle pitchers coming off the COVID year. Because as you guys know, with young pitchers, you try to build them up, you know, you get them out of high school. You know, if you get them out of high school, they maybe pitch hundred innings or first full season, then 120, then 140. And nobody really pitches many more than 160 in the big leagues. Now in college, maybe they start at 120 because they've pitched a little bit more, but you try not to add too many innings from one year to the next. And in 2020, nobody pitched, nobody pitched in the minors. You know, I mean, as you mentioned, teams did the alternate site stuff that wasn't the same as pitching in like a real game situation. You're facing a lot of the same players. You've coaches playing left field because you don't have enough bodies, catch balls. It, it wasn't the same. So I think teams were very cautious in 2021. And again, in 2022, I don't think this is something the Dodgers or other teams are, you know, necessarily going to, you know, have three inning starters, you know, forever, but you know, they have watched their innings very carefully. They've tried to protect their young arms. And then I just think playoff baseball, you know, with the, you know, the game's different than from when I grew up or where you guys grew up, you know, back when, you know, playoffs, you know, you'd have your guy, you know, guys throwing complete games and, you know, doing things like that. Now it's like you go twice through the order and most pitchers are out of there and it's mix and match. And, you know, there's a bunch of relievers in every game. I, I don't think what the Dodgers do in the playoffs is related to what they've done in the minors though. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because we've just been tracking it. It's like, wow, and then to see it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why watching last night's game, I don't think that's going to happen in today's game. That was watching last night's game with Darvish and Wheeler was refreshing to watch two guys go seven innings, deal, and do their thing. Yeah, I mean, and part of it is, I think, because they were pretty efficient. They What, they give up three hits between them or something like that? Four hits between them? But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it just seems like if you five out of your starter and then it becomes a bullpen game, it, it, a lot of times in the playoffs, it's kind of crazy. How do you think minor leagues has recovered since the pandemic and everything that we've gone through? You know, we've had way less drafts. We've uh, draft choices. There's been a lot of change. There's been reduction in minor leagues teams. Just just how are we in minor league baseball and with what things are going on, how we've recovered from the COVID from the COVID situation? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people have gotten used to kind of the day-to-day -day reality. There's fewer teams, there's fewer players getting drafted. You know, there's four full season teams, there's one short season teams, there's limits on players. But I do think what's what's still been tough even two years after COVID is you know, you're finding that the layoff really affected different players in different ways. And there are some guys who bounced right back from it, whether it's hitters or position players. And there's other guys who 
were just out of whack for all of 2021. And, and some of that lingered into 2022. And I do think even with teams trying to be careful with pitchers, you know, having a year where guys didn't pitch, it just feels like, I don't know. I mean, I guess pitching injuries are going up anyway. I just think as guys throw harder, guys get hurt more. But I also think we've had, you know, more pitching injuries than than feels like normal or before we had, you know, the pandemic. I think some of that's related to the layoffs. So I think in terms of everybody knowing what they're dealing with and reduced rosters and reduced draft, everybody's used to that. But I still think that even two years later, we're feeling some effects from the pandemic. Yeah, I, I we've talked to a few college coaches when we draft guys and we'll have the uh, head coaches on and they, you know, recruiting's been different. Obviously, what's been going on, depending also also where people live, right? Like, obviously, what happened in California and how we dealt with it versus, like, let's say Texas and Florida and Arizona, you know, hotbeds for where guys and prospects are. People dealt with it and counties dealt with it differently. School districts dealt with it differently. So there's definitely that effect also. I wonder what that will be like years from now. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe in a couple of years we'll kind of get out of that. But you, know, you mentioned the college thing. Here's the crazy thing about college. So in 2020, you had you guys who would have been juniors, 40-round draft back then, expecting to get drafted. You know, we're probably talking, you know, we had the draft got cut to five rounds. But, you know, we're probably talking, not everybody in the 40-round draft signs, but, but I'd say there are probably, I don't know, 750 to 1,000 college juniors and seniors who would have turned pro that year who didn't get the opportunity. And they came back, and they got another year of eligibility. So you have, if you're a college coach, you know, like you said, you've talked to some of these guys, you, you, you know, you, you have, it's very difficult college recruiting because guys don't declare for the draft. They just get drafted. Sometimes they sign, sometimes they don't. Your incoming recruits, same thing. So you're kind of like planning who's going to be coming, who's going to be going. And you have all these juniors you thought were going to be leaving who not only don't leave, they come back and they basically have two more years of eligibility. So some yeah. of those guys that if you're a college coach, you thought, you know, again, not that you want these kids to go. I mean, they're good players. But you thought we're going to be gone in 2020 and open up scholarships. We're still on your team in 2022. And, you know, the scholarships in most places are renewable year to year. But if you have guys who are older players, you know, can play, you're not kicking them off your roster. And then you have incoming recruits you don't have room for. Or if you still get them to come, they don't have playing time. I, I think this will be the first year where they'll be kind of back to normal roster management for college coaches. But, you know, the pandemic, I think, as we've touched on, you know, especially with the pitching, was not a one-year deal. It really affected all levels of baseball for I think at least the last three years now for us obviously young players you know we went through a stretch three straight years in the playoffs even the year before when we did make the playoffs 186 games were going for it and then a complete flip to what we saw last year 102 losses gonna whether you want to call it rebuild retool whatever you want to call it we're in it and so these young guys now mean more than they ever have in, in recent years for the athletics. So was there anybody that's an A farmhand that stood out for you while you're down there in Arizona? Um, you know, I think Zach Geloff, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm distracted here. I don't know if you guys are watching the game too. Juan Soto just lost the ball in the sun and now it's oh, yeah. two nothing Phillies. Hey, but, I uh, can tell you, I'm originally from San Diego and all my buddies, I, they couldn't have been more excited when he showed up 
they can't be more furious with him uh, the way he hasn't hit. And then, yeah, we just saw it. He missed it in the sun. Juan Soto went from like, oh, my God, this guy's the greatest. Uh, people in San Diego scratching their heads. Yeah, I, I think he'll be okay in the long run. But getting back to your question, I was just, I keep, I have my TV on over here to the right. So I keep turning to the right to see what's going on there. But, uh, but no, Zach Geloff kind of stood out to me the most. Um, you know, I'll tell you what surprised me the most about him. He looked pretty good at second base. You know, I think of him as more of a third baseman. Yeah. I played him a lot at second. He looked pretty good at second base when I saw him. I was there for a week. I'll go back for the final week, too. But he was um, he was pretty impressive. I mean, I know he can hit. You know, he's moved real quick in the minors. I remember I actually saw him for the first time in Arizona. We broadcast the MLB4 tournament. I guess it would have been 2019. It was his first game he played in college. I remember watching him in BP thinking I'd never heard of him. We, the way we split the draft in MLB, I have half the country, but I didn't have Zach Geloff, who's from New Jersey. So I didn't really know much about him. I'm like, man, this guy looks really good in BP. And then he hit three doubles in the game. But no, I think Zach Geloff, you know, I think, you know, the question is, is he a guy who's a solid player versus a guy who's like a cornerstone you build a team around? He might be more of that solid regular than a, you know, true star you build around. But he, he looked really good in Arizona. Um, I mean, it's always an offensive league out there. The, I think the pitching's actually – it was pretty bad last year, and it might even be a little worse this year. I think, again, it's kind of related to the pandemic in terms of teams don't send pitchers who, got, who hit their innings limits during the season, and the innings limits are lower still related to the pandemic, so you have fewer top-notch pitchers go out there. The age are kind of an exception. I saw Mason Miller throw really hard. Um, he didn't make it past – he didn't make it out of the second inning in the start – I saw Mason Miller hit 100 repeatedly. Um, uh, you know, I'd seen him at the combine. He was a guy I was familiar with from the draft. Um, JT Ginn looks a lot different than I remember seeing him as an amateur before the Tommy John surgery. He used to be kind of a four seam mid 90s guy, and now he's kind of a more of a low 90s sinker slider guy. Still has a slinker, maybe not quite as powerful as it used to be. Um, I didn't see Ryan Cusick. I know he. It's it's weird. He's he's not giving up any runs. And I think the league ERA is over six down there. Um, but he's also not striking out a lot of guys and not throwing a lot of strikes. But I didn't get to see him personally to tell you what his stuff looked like down there. What do you need to see? We can be generic on this. Yeah. What do you need to see down there that you feel actually translates when you can really say, okay, I see that. That will play at the big league level. Yeah, you know, it's funny because – like I said, I mean, the, the, just the environment and just the, the the talent down there, it's really slanted in favor of the hitters. So I don't I don't even really look at performance um, as to more like not so much the numbers matter, but like how a guy gets to those numbers, you know, in terms of both hitter and pitcher, you know, is he controlling the strike zone? Are, they, are the hitters chasing? Because you can put up big – you can have guys who strike out 35% of the time who are still going to put up big numbers down there because the ball flies. But, you know, are they controlling the strike zone? Are, are, are pitchers commanding the ball? And then just kind of ease operation. Like, I mean, you know, you can swing for the fences and, and probably slug 550 pretty easily down there. Just you're going to run into some balls and the ball flies. But um, it, it, so it's more, I think, how guys do it than what they're actually doing, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and I mean, look, over the years, this is the 30th year of the league. They've sent more than, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, more than 3,000 players to the big leagues. It's a crazy number. Yeah. More than 60% of the guys down there play in the big leagues. And you'll see guys who are in the league now who will be in the big leagues next year. Like, I haven't 
done a real deep dive into playoff rosters, but I know Bryson Stott. We saw Bryson Stott in the fall league last year and he looked really good. And now he's playing. I guess he's already hit today, um, but uh, he's playing for the Phillies in the NLCS. I remember you know, your Cody Bellinger set the national league record for home runs for by rookie. Cody Bellinger was in the fall league, the league before. Um, so you will see players who are in the fall league. Like it's not just, you're seeing future big leaguers. You're seeing guys who will be in the big leagues next year, making an impact. You know, like Brendan Donovan for the car. The Cardinals had a bunch of guys, Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman, all played in the big, Andre Pallante. There's four guys off the top of my head who are part of a playoff team um, who were all in the fall league last year. Um, so that's, that's kind of the fun part of it. You'll, you'll see a lot of these guys pretty quick. And you get to go to Arizona. It's not like you got to go to the middle of nowhere where <laughs> some of these things in other sports are. You know, it's, it's forty six like- right now in Chicago. It's forty six <laughs> right now in Chicago. So believe me, I will not be upset when I have to go back to Arizona. <laughs> it's like my NBA buddies that go, you know what? The summer league in Vegas, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal whatsoever. Uh, did you get a chance to see Lawrence Butler or Denzel Clark while you're down there? You know, I, I I don't think I saw them play. Like it's it's weird too because the way they have these large rosters, not everybody plays every day. Yeah. If I did, I saw them play once. And they didn't make an impression. I mean, they're both interesting guys. I mean, Butler was hurt, but I think he's one of the better hurt hurt this year. But he's one of the better hitter, better young hitters in the A system. I think he's got a chance to hit for some power and average. And and Clark's like great athlete. You know, got Olympic relatives. He's cousin of the Naylor brothers in Cleveland. Um, he looked great at the combine when I saw him last year. Um, a guy who who just needs more reps, but he's he's. I'm trying to think. He might be the best athlete in the system. I'm trying to think if there's anybody better. But no, it's like I will. I was down there for six days and I saw nine or ten games, but I was just kind of bouncing around. And it feels like if I saw those guys, I just saw him play once. I feel like I saw Geloff play two or three times. You know, we always like to look at the rankings, right? We'll see our top thirty on MLB.com, and everybody's ranking their how much should we at this point pay attention to that? How much does that really matter? Whether someone ranks us, are you 28th? Are you 17th? I mean, I've always looked at Houston's. Uh, they don't have the yeah. strongest ratings, but they just keep bringing up guys that keep beating us. Yeah. Well, I mean, Houston has four pitchers in their starting rotation. We're signed internationally, I think for less than 150,000 combined. They aren't even arbitration eligible and they're all good. And I do our Astros list. And I joke with those guys about all time. Like when the rankings come out, the, the, the farm system rankings are probably the least meaningful rankings. I always joke that the one prospects are like kids. Everybody loves their kids more than anybody else does. <laughs> and then my other joke is that when you do farm system rankings, one team's like, man, you got it just right. You got us right. And 29 and other teams are like, Hey, you ranked us too low. And then whenever we do the farm system rankings and like, like they're not mean about it. And they and deservedly so, but the Astros always be like, "Hey, are we going to rank thirtieth again? How's the third? Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, I know, I know." And you guys are in the ALCS for the sixth year in a row, and but like, it's weird. But like at the same time, like those rankings are the hardest rankings to do because you think about it. You're, each farm system has like 200 players at different levels, and you're saying, "Okay, who has the best talent?" Like looking at 200 players at a time in 30 different organizations, and while it's an impossible task, at the same time. I do think ownership on a lot of teams looks at that. And I've heard, I feel bad when like I hear from somebody who's like, well, you know, you ranked us 24th and the owner came down and asked what we're doing, but I, I don't, I mean, we do them because fans love them. You know, we did them at baseball America. I, I don't think farm system rankings matter that much, to be honest with you. I mean, 
the other thing I'd say about him too, I think you can, we can identify, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I can identify three, four, five systems that are like the top systems. And I can identify three, four, five systems that are the bottom systems. And then the other 20 or so systems, you could try divide into two halves, but like to be able to say with pinpoint accuracy, this team's the fifth best farm system. This team's the 10th. Nobody's that good. Like if we were that good, I'd be making millions of dollars working for a team if I, if I could pinpoint it that accurately. So, I mean, I think it gives you a rough idea, but that's really what it is more than anything. It's a rough idea where your system ranks. It's not precise by any means. Well, everybody loves their kids, but you may favor one over the other sometimes. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I have four kids. I guess I shouldn't say that, but they're all adults now. So. Yeah. Well, I, I have twins, so they're, they're identical. So it's like the, almost the same kid in a lot of ways. Uh, let's end on this. How do you view the strength of where the A system is and how close do you think really think some of these guys are at uh, helping us at the big league level? Yeah, I mean, I, I still I still think it's a couple years away. I mean, you know, it's tough for the A's. I mean, with the stadium situation, they don't spend on payroll. Like you were saying, you know, you, they'll have these cycles where they'll go to the playoffs for two or three years, and then they kind of have to, like we saw this offseason, decide, okay, we can't afford these guys anymore. We got to trade them away and then build it back up. You know, the, the tricky thing for them has been a lot of their best prospects – through the years have come via trades. It's not like they, they, I mean, and it's hard to crush it in the draft every year, but I'd say they're kind of ordinary draft results. So like when they make trades, they really need to hit on guys. I mean, we, we saw Ken Waldachuk get there this year. Um, I like Ken Waldachuk. I think he's a little unheralded. I think Tyler Sot like Shea Langleyers got there this year. I really like Shea Langleyers. I think having Shea Langleyers makes it easier to let Tyler Soderstrom do what he does best, which is hit. And, it's always tough when you have a really offensive-minded catcher like Tyler was where if you catch him, it detracts from his hitting because of the time you have to devote to catching and then the physical toll. So I think they're going to get more out of Tyler Soderstrom's bat. You know, I think the big question for the A's is I don't think their system's particularly deep. Um, and you don't have – you know, Tyler Soderstrom's a good prospect. Shea Langleyers is a good prospect. Ken Walchuk's a good prospect. But you don't have that, you know, Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, Francisco Alvarez, Anthony Volpe, you know, top, top of the top 100 prospect where you're like, okay, we're going to build around that guy. You have some pieces where you're like, okay, these guys can be part of a winning team. But I don't know if you really have, like, that superstar nucleus of that, that winning team in place. So I think they're still going to be in search of that. You know, I mean, they picked 18th this year and they got 18th or 19th. They got Daniel Susak and I like Daniel Susak, but when you're picking 18th or 19th, you're not getting that elite, elite guy at the top of the draft. And like, I guess we won't know until the winter meetings where they're going to pick next year. Cause I'm trying to think I'm looking here at the standings. What they have the second worst second record. Worst in baseball, record. We got, six, but there's a draft lottery. Yeah. 60.5% so chance. Yeah. But so I, I think, I don't think they can pick any lower than eighth, but um, so they'll be in position. They should get a pretty good player next year, but that, but I think that's the biggest challenge right now is they have some good players. I don't know if they have any great players in their farm system. So Julio Rodriguez is not walking through that door for us. No, they don't have a Julio Rodriguez or a Bobby <laughs> Wood Jr. Or an Adley Rutschman yeah. hiding out, but like next year, I mean, Let's say they get to pick at the top. You, you'll get a Dylan Cruz from LSU. He's an outfielder. Or 
Chase Dollander from Tennessee is a right-hander. You know, if I mean, it would stink if you're an A's fan if they don't if they do poorly in the lottery. Um, you know, they could wind up with the number one pick. They could wind up with the number eight pick. But we'll have to see. But at least they'll be in position. There's a good chance whoever they draft with their first round pick next year will probably could very well be the best prospect in their system. Hey, well, we got the draft right. We drafted the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. We got that right. You, you know what though? I. I I don't blame them for that pick. I, I think they take more grief for that pick than they deserve. We have I, fun I, with I, it. Because here's why. I'm not saying he would have been this guy, but people love – Kyler Murray had not played baseball much going into his draft year. He had played a little bit the year before. He went to the Cape Cod League. And he, he like, as he started to play, leaps and bounds. I'm not saying he would have been this guy. I had, a, I had a scout with another team that thought about taking him in the first round. They picked a couple picks behind the A's compared him to Ricky Henderson. He thought he could be a Ricky. And now I'm not saying he would have been Ricky Henderson, but the guy, like I heard Andrew McCutcheon, super, super talented player. And what people don't remember was when they drafted Kyler, Kyler had only played a couple games at A&M. He'd sat on the bench at Oklahoma, I think behind Baker Mayfield. Correct. And he was small and nobody was talking about him as an NFL quarterback. People were like, he'll probably be pretty good in that Lincoln Riley offense there at Oklahoma. But nobody was talking about him at draft time. Like, Oh, you're going to lose this guy, the NFL draft. Like there was concern because out of high school, he pulled himself out of the baseball draft. Football was clearly his first love, but realistically looking at it, it was like, this guy could be a star in baseball and he's too small. Like, like NFL guys, nobody was talking about him going into that season. So I don't, I don't blame the A's. I, I do think it was crazy at the winter meetings that year, which I think were in San Diego, but I don't remember right. Scott Boris telling everybody, Oh no, he's going to go to spring training. And I was listening to that thinking the Kyler Murray, not that I know him well, but that I remember covering him when he was in high school, loves football. He's about to win the Heisman Trophy. He's going to get it. No, I didn't know he was going to go number one in the NFL draft. Yeah. He was going to go in the first round. That guy's gone because he loves football. And, and Boris was telling everybody at the winter meetings, oh, no, he'll be in spring training. At that point, he was gone. But I, I really, maybe I'm in the minority, but I think they took a chance at a guy who could have been a, a transcendent talent possibly. And at the time, nobody thought he was going to the NFL because they're like, he's too small. Oh, I remember when we drafted him, and I'm the one that interviews all the draft picks, and he and I are standing eye to eye, and I'm like, how does this guy play quarterback? And then at the same time, I was also working for the Oakland Raiders, so we played him a couple times. And it is it is amazing the success he has had at his size. When you got they light- don't square him up. When you got nobody ever hit, nobody ever squares him up. He he just doesn't get hit. I know, and he and he has trouble, but he has trouble seeing the field. It's amazing because yeah. his linemen are six five, six six. He's my size five ten. I mean, it, it's unreal. But uh, hey, always appreciate your time. We'll let you get back to this game. Means a lot that you stop by during this game. So we truly appreciate it. You're the best at what you do. Keep doing it, and we'll be following it. Obviously. Well, thanks for all the kind words, and it's four to one. I, I've missed some action here. I'll get back to that, but uh, always good talking to you, and uh, take care, guys. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. Yeah, Jim Callist, uh, uh, he is the best covering the minor leagues. Is that Drury just went yard? Yeah, the well, the big trade deadline acquisition, Brandon Drury. The only guy that hit that they traded, uh, the Padres traded for. We got a couple comments during uh, during the first after the first inning. They're like, Blake Snell, cruise to the first inning. What happened in the full, second inning? He gave up uh, four runs? Yeah, well, I mean, Juan Soto did drop a – Wait a minute. Bell but, just went yard. 
Or is that foul ball? Oh, no, that's gone. Oh, wow. That's uh, ex-Pirate legend Josh Bell. Wow, back-to-back yaks off NOLA, and it is 4-2. I told you, this series is going to be exciting, and everybody's going to go, well, it's not Dodgers, it's not Braves, it's not Mets. It's like you got two fan bases that are through the moon with baseball right now, while everybody else has gone their way with football. Now NBA has started. Sharks fans, going to be a long year. Just It is what it is. Just thank God it's not a, a cold oh, winter here yeah. in the South Bay. 0-5, oh, that's not good. It's, Part of the process. How hot is it in San Jose right now? Uh, the computer says 88. It was supposed to be 90 today. 90? It's 91 in San Diego. I, in San Diego earlier today, while I was listening to Sirius XM, our buddies there, Mike Farron and uh, Franny said it was 95 and Jim Bowden was shedding layers. It was so hot. Uh, somehow it dropped four degrees there. But, I mean, yeah, it's California. We're in a drought. It's warm. It is what it is. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's good for my golf game. Uh, but that was the thing that they talked about for this series also, is that uh, going to be – Philly's a band box anyway, but Petco Park's not a band box except you, except in the day when it's warm. Ball flies out because you have no marine layer. See, that's the difference between this ballpark and the old Jack Murphy where the Padres played. That was inland, so it was always warm. Here, oh. oh I, thought he was gonna th- I thought he was going to overthrow it. So here, this ballpark is downtown right on the water. So you get the, what you see in, in Oakland and San Francisco. You get the marine layer. You get the cooler nights off the Pacific Ocean. Back in the day when the Padres played inland, it was always hot because you didn't get the marine layer didn't get that far in. It would burn off. So it is warm in San Diego. The ball is flying. That's now four home runs in two, in two games in this series, and we got a long way to go. But – the fighting Phils are up four to two in the second inning. So I think our Blake's now five and a third. I don't know if that's gonna. What were the questions, by the way? That uh, were... oh, they were asking about. They were saying about Blake Snell going uh, cruising through the first inning, and then uh, well, the second inning came around. That five and a third under is starting to look good. Yeah, he's already like forty-two pitches or something like that through two innings. That ball Juan Soto dropped was embarrassing. I mean, maybe it's in the sun. And then there was another ball. It, it, yeah, I know we're talking about a game that's going on right now. But then there was another ball that was a foul ball that a, a decent right fielder gets to. Juan Soto is being exposed. He's being exposed as he stinks on defense. He doesn't have a great arm. He doesn't have speed. He's not your prototypical, what you'd say, right fielder. I mean, what? What? this guy walks? I know he's had one big offensive year, and he was super young at the time. What was that, like 20? Yeah, what was that? Was that 2019 when he was good? Or no, he was really good. Well, he's good in the COVID year. But it's like, wait, what are you looking at now? You're looking at a guy for a season at 230, and now in the postseason's hitting 170? Yeah, it's not like it's – And po- doesn't play – he didn't play good defense against in the Dodgers series. Here, I mean, it's like – you're saying this guy's worth five hundred million dollars, and you're comparing him to Ted Williams? All right, here's his batting averages year by year. Uh, 2018, he was 19. He hit 280, uh, hit 292. Good. 282. Good. 351. 351. In 2020, he played in 47 games. 
313 last year. Good. And now he's he this year he hit 242. Ooh, what did he hit for the Padres? 236, six home runs, 16 runs driven in, uh, 778 OPS. He walked more than he had base hits this year. I think he's the first guy to do that since Joey Gallo did it. But Gallo, all Gallo does is hit home runs and strike out. So, so you're not looking for Gallo to you know hit a single down the line or take the ball the opposite way. <laughs> but yeah, for Soto, that's that's his numbers. And I think in the po- I have his numbers in the postseason. Well, he-, he was 188 going into this series, and he's already 0 for yesterday and 0 for today. Yeah, I have might have restart the browser here. Um, yeah, it was like two two twenty three, maybe is what he's hitting in the postseason. No way, he was hitting one eighty eight in the Dodgers series. May have got a, but he's now already oh, so he was zero for yesterday, and he's already zero for one today. There's no way he's even hitting two thirty. All right, here we go. Uh, documents loading. It's on here. And by, I, by the way, you gonna back me or Statcast on that Giancarlo Stanton home run yesterday? That Landed in the third row. Yeah, it landed in the third row. It third said, row. It said it, according to Statcast, uh, coming into today, it said he was hitting two twenty six this postseason with a five fifty two OPS. Five fifty two OPS for a guy that walks is supposed to walk and get on base. That's what was going on. Are you sure about that? What his postseason? Yeah. Are you uh, sure about that? What baseballs? I mean, one hit must because he didn't. I mean, he got what one hit yesterday? What did? What was he yesterday? Um, I have to. I'd have to pull it up. I don't remember him having a big hit or anything. Yeah, he hit three thirty three in the series against the Mets. And then I'm gonna do a little batting average calculator. All righty, what did he hit? Yes, what did he give me? Give me. Give me yesterday. Uh, yesterday, Juan Soto was zero for three of a walk. Oh, for three. Okay, so uh, hits so far this postseason. Seven. He got four hits in the Mets game. Mets series. Series. Yeah. So we got four. Set, so he's got seven hits. How many at bats today? One. One, and he had three yesterday. And so what? What do you got for him for this postseason? Uh, so he has four at bats this postseason now. So that'd be 20, 32. So he's 7 of 32. 7 of 32. So now it would be two, like 219. 219. Yeah. He's hitting 219. All right, let's call, let me call Jay Jaffe here. I know, by the way, you, uh, you know what he hit in the, in, in the series against the Dodgers? 180-something, like 188. 188. He hit 188 against the Dodgers in that series in four games. 188. I mean, it's unbelievable. What does Jaffe want to talk about? Uh, Well, the postseason. Does he have a book going out? Uh, No. I always love having him on the program. Also, we can talk Hall of Fame, too. Jay, welcome back to to Ace Cast Live. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Well, we were just talking about, you know, being uh, – where are you located? I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, let me tell you something. Out here in California, super hot right now. In the Bay Area right now, where we are in the Bay Area, it's 88. Down in San Diego, it's 91. And when the ball – when it is hot at Petco Park, boy, the balls fly. And we're seeing that today down at Petco. 
Yeah, so far, uh, what six six runs in in, in three innings, less than three innings, really two two full innings. It's uh, it's a bit of a slugfest by comparison. What do you make of this in LCS? These two teams. You know, I didn't get to see much of yesterday's game because I was covering the Yankees game. Um, so uh, it's an interesting matchup, obviously, because both of these are you know the underdog teams in their uh, respective series. Uh, first winning the wild card matchups and then and then knocking off. Uh, uh, the bigger name opponents in the uh, in, in the division series, but these are two fun teams. Um, I love what the Padres did, uh, going all in at the deadline to get Juan Soto and to fix uh, some other holes uh, in their roster. It didn't pay immediate dividends, but uh, um, they are uh, a lot of fun to watch. Um, the Phillies have obviously taken a, a turn for the better since firing Joe Girardi. Um, they've got. Uh, uh, some young players uh, mixed into that lineup. And, you know, I, I love watching Bryce Harper play. I'm glad he's healthy or healthy enough to be playing. And uh, um, uh, those guys can hit the ball a long way when they get a hold of one, that's for sure. Yeah, you think about that draft and all the different players that have come out of that draft. When you think about Harper going number one, uh, Tyon, who's going to go tonight, was number two, Manny Machado, number three, Syndergaard, oh, yeah. Castellanos, uh, Real Muto. I mean, uh, even Drury, who just hit a home run in this game. Uh, a lot from that draft is in this. And when you talk about, yeah, it's good to see for like Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, these guys, uh, you know, kind of been linked ever since that draft. Yeah, they have. and and. Um... You know, obviously, also with the with the the, the big contracts uh, around the same time, uh, three hundred million dollars plus for 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 both Machado and Harper, um, two guys that are on the Hall of Fame path, as as I've as I've said uh, when I've checked in on them in, in my uh, work at Fangraphs. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about Manny because even though we've the A's, we've had our dust ups with Manny back in the Oriole days. But you just look at his numbers, you go, this guy plays, he plays a lot. Those numbers are going to add up, and they're going to be Hall of Fame numbers someday. Before we get into the ALCS and, and the Yankees, uh, we just how how do you feel that that series ended up? Did you like the way Cleveland managed itself? in game five against the Yankees at, uh, at Yankee Stadium. No, I, I, I thought they, I thought they made a, a real mistake uh, in starting Savali. You know, he had uh, a rough time against righties this year. And I know he came on better down the stretch after, uh, after getting uh, reasonably healthy, but um, the way the Yankees were able to stack the top of that lineup with four righties out of five uh, and he was out of the game. I mean, why not start an opener and, and uh, uh, try to get him, uh, going against the, the the bottom half of the lineup, the bottom part of the lineup, you know, and see if you can get uh, a couple of usable innings out of him like that. And uh, uh, you know, Francona was quick with the hook, but it wasn't quick enough. Um, but bottom line is, I just don't, you know, for all the talk about um, the the virtues of having a, a contact centric offense and all the ways that people like, you know, the way that the con you know, the 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 contact uh, teams uh, zig while the power teams are zagging a short sequence offense is you know works better in the postseason and the Yankees out homer the Guardians uh, two to one in the regular season and three to one nine homers to three uh, in, in the postseason and uh, uh, that was uh, really to me the difference I mean they both got great relief pitching uh, at times um, but the Yankees were, were stronger with the home runs and, and, and their starting pitchers were able to withstand them. And uh, 
uh, that was it. You know, looking at this ALCS, I mean, there's the storylines of 2017. We know what Brian Cashman has said about it. We know in the past Aaron Judge about losing out to Altuve in the MVP race. And you think about how juicy this could be. They're facing each other again. You know, obviously, we deal with this with the Astros all the time. They're trying to get that validation of winning another World Series without the trash can banging and all the all the cameras and the sign stealing. And I thought there would be this big buildup, but because of Mother Nature and because of rainouts, all of a sudden, Yankees fly to Houston. We're not having the big press conference. We're not having all these questions brought up. It's like you land, wake up the next day, let's play game one. How do you think that plays out in this series that we're not going to get all that buildup and, and drama? Well, I think I think it will still be a topic. I know I, I talk, wrote about it in my in my uh, ALCS preview, which I had to turn pretty quickly after getting home last night. Uh, fortunately, the downtime beforehand uh, allowed me to work ahead. But um, you know, look, the Astros have been to the last, the last six ALCS. They've beaten the Yankees twice. Um, and ceiling allegations were thrown around both times. Obviously, the league found what it found uh, with regards to 2017, and there's still uh, some question about uh, whether 2019 was on the up and up, uh, based on uh, reporting from Andy Martino. And, and uh, um, you know, it's. Uh, uh, I think there's probably a bit of bad blood between these two teams, even if the Yankees are downplaying it, because the Yankees, you know, they they generally do a pretty good job of trying not to get their let other, give something for their opponents to latch onto. I don't think you know, the Astros need any any extra motivation. Um, Judge is uh, uh, pretty uh, conservative with his words uh, when it comes to the topic, although you know I think he's somebody who certainly. Uh, uh, remembers what went down there, and obviously Brian Cashman was a bit more vocal, and he can speak for the organization at the level he does. Um, but uh, you know, for the Yankees, this remains the dragon unslain, and you know, one way or another, they they need to get past the Astros because they haven't been to the to the World Series since 2009, and this has really proven to be an obstacle for them. So um, I think that's motivation enough for them. Yeah, and you think about the Astros, what they're trying to do is they're trying to win that extra one and say, hey, all that past doesn't matter. If they are able to get past the Yankees and they're able to get past whether it's going to be the Phillies or the Padres and they win another World Series and everybody's going to be happy for Dusty Baker, but will people actually start to forget 2017? And as you said, people think the cheating was beyond just 2017. You know, I I, I I don't know. I think uh, what we've seen with 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 the with regards to Barry Bonds and 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 Mark McGuire and the home run stuff. I mean, it's still a sore spot twenty years later. Yeah. Um, I I don't think this is going to go away. I don't think it. I don't think it has to go away. I you know I don't know. I'm 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 conflicted myself. I mean, you know, on the one hand, uh, I'm bothered if this was you know wasn't on the up and up. I grew up a Dodgers fan. I it. It tears me up hearing Clayton Kershaw, you know, when Clayton Kershaw feeling like he got robbed uh, of, of a championship and, and, and all that. Fortunately, the Dodgers did win one in, in, uh, in, in 2020. Um, you know, at the same time, I also have a problem with the way that this one was, was, was handed out, that Carlos Beltran uh, was the only person who seems to have suffered consequences while the two managers uh, are, you know, uh, 
Hinch and, and Alex Cora with the Red Sox, who was also the bench coach in Houston, um, you know, got jobs about 10 minutes after they were reinstated. So uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny how that's worked out. And I don't know that, you know, Beltran's a guy who should have been left holding the bag uh, when there were clearly more, uh, more players involved and uh, differential. I, I just know in my gut, I don't enjoy watching Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa uh, and George Springer. Uh, to the extent that I did before all this stuff, before I knew all this stuff. I'm so glad you just said that because whenever I say stuff like that, everybody just goes, ah, you're the A's honk. You're just, you're, you know, you're just pissed that the A's didn't get over on the Astros. So if I say it, they think there's a reason behind it. My wife, who doesn't care about baseball, she's a first grade teacher, has always said, why did the Astros get to keep all the stuff they cheated? So, like, when you just kind of look at it right and wrong, like, my wife will be like, that's just wrong. I like how you said that, how at least you look at them differently because, Jay, when I do it, people think there's motive behind it. Yeah. Well, and another thing, my wife, Emma Spann, uh, is, uh, was the editor of The Athletic on those on the Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellich, uh pieces uh, that broke the story. Um, we have a six-year-old daughter who plays uh, t-ball, who plays little league now. You know, we've had to explain it to her, especially because one year they were the Astros. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, you know, um, so she's had she's had to learn about this stuff. And, and you know, when you're talking to a, to a four, five, six-year-old, you're you're you know you're you're talking about right and wrong, and there's you know, questions about what did they do? Did they cheat? Is that bad? you know, and stuff like that. And I think at the basic level, you're like, yeah, that was bad. Um, so, you know, I don't know that there's, that it's impossible for individuals to be redeemed. I do know that I don't regard even, even having, you know, kind of number crunching to show that that Astro, this, this Astros run has been one of the greatest uh, in, in post-expansion history since 1961 onward, uh, along with the Dodgers run, which has been the best, uh, in terms of regular season success, I don't regard the Astros uh, as being, you know, as being the, you know, the, you know, fully legitimized in that conversation. It's just like, oh yeah, they're there, but you know, you can feel how you want to feel about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to think, but I will tell you that, you know, this, these were, these are the facts that we know, and there's still some unanswered questions. Before I ask you about the Dodgers, who do you think will win the? ALCS represent the American League in the World Series and why? I, I, I think Houston's rotation lines up so much better. They're well rested. Um, for the for the Yankees, the big problem is that uh, uh, Nestor Cortez will only get to start one game. Um, he pitched his heart out on in in uh, on three days rest in in Game Five. Um, the way it lines up, he would only be available. Uh, to start in game four of this series. Uh, and to get two starts from Garrett Cole, you're going to need him to go on short rest, uh, probably in game seven, uh, if not game two, uh, the way it lines up. So uh, the way the rotations break down, um, this definitely favors the Astros. Uh, and uh, the extra rest, I think, favors them as well. Um, but uh, these are two very good teams. And if not for that and the home field advantage, I think this would be – um, you know, more of a toss-up, but I think this clearly does favor Houston. I believe uh, our playoff odds, game-by-game odds, have it just a, a 55-45 uh, split uh, in favor of Houston. So uh, it should be a very competitive series. 
As a Dodger fan, you're looking at that team, 111 wins, the way they went out, the way they looked, the way the whole thing went down, the, 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 the decisions that were made that we know a lot of them come down from the front office. Just how did you feel about the Dodgers, the Dodgers exit? Yeah, it was, you know, I think it was just after the 111 wins. I mean, they, 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 they rolled through the league, but at the end of the day, the guy's got to hit. And that was a high-power offense that just is not hit. Um, you know, Mookie Betts, two for 14. Uh, some other guys uh, didn't, didn't produce either. Um, you know, the 0 for 20 with runners in scoring position. I mean, you know, the, maybe it was the rust. Um, there were a few pitching decisions I didn't think were great, especially not, uh, especially letting, uh, uh, Tommy Canley and Yancey Almonte there in game four, instead of Evan Phillips, I think they had to go to Phillips earlier because he was the, um, you know, probably the, the more, the more proven, uh, option there. Uh, and I didn't like the, um, uh, the decision to start Gonsolin in game three and Anderson in game four. I thought they should have gone for the jugular with Anderson in game three and, you know, if they had to. Uh, limp through game four uh, with their bullpen in order to preserve it for game five, you know, so much, I think that would, that would have served them better. But at the end of the day, they just didn't hit. And I don't think there's any real magic uh, uh, revelation there other than, you know, you gotta, you gotta outplay your opponents if you're going to win. It's not the way that, you know, it's not some flaw of team construction or reliance upon analytics. My colleague, Dan Simborski, uh, I think did a pretty good job of debunking that in an article uh, that went up today. Um, you know, teams that hit for power tend to, tend to be the ones that uh, have more success in the postseason. Um, all these mora- mini morality plays about what to, uh, how to build your team. Uh, there aren't any other correlations that tell us, uh, you know, who's going to win, um, you know, in terms of roster construction. Um, but at the end of the day, you still got to outplay your opponent. That's the secret sauce. Well, before we let you go, and we always love the time and having you on the program. Obviously, we love talking Hall of Fame with you. Roger Clemens is going to throw out the first ceremonial pitch tonight for the ALCS. We see Bonds all the time. Do we anything coming up when we talk about guys that are going to be first timers? Any juicy things going to be going on that you're going to be writing about Fangraphs uh, about the Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, I'll certainly be breaking down the ballots, and, and Clarence and Bonds are both sure to be on the uh, uh, the new uh, uh, contemporary era committee ballot, is what it's called. Um, I don't know that they have any better of a chance of getting in this year than they did last year. I mean, when you consider that it's the Hall of Fame uh, who appoints the voters, um, you know, if you could if you could choose your own jury, let's put it that way. I, I think I think you're more likely to know know the outcome ahead of time. Um, so I don't know that there's going to be anything, uh, you know, that, that's going to get them in anytime soon, but uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Always love the chat. Enjoy the rest of this game. Enjoy the game tonight, and let's talk soon. And keep doing a great job. You guys are second to none. Thanks so much. Appreciate the kind words. Jay Jaffe, Fangraphs. Great articles, great knowledge, just power, 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 Cody. There you go. If you don't hit home runs, you're never going to win anything. Juan Soto grounded out the second again.
That's now hitting. What was he hitting for the postseason? Two, two. Well, it was two nineteen. So okay, let's, let's go to remember. There's not a there's not a big sample size. So let's go to two twelve. Seven for thirty three. Be two twelve. Okay, I'm just gonna do it on. I'm just gonna do the official. Gonna do the official. Or let, are you doing the exact same thing? I'm just using the calculator on my phone. All right. Check the batting average. Seven for thirty three. He's just like Ted Williams. 212. <laughs> 212. 212. 212. Just like Ted Williams. 212. That's not good. I don't I don't know. 500 million. This guy wants 500 million dollars. Stinks in right field. I don't even want to hear the metrics. I already know the metrics aren't great. I never actually looked up his defensive They're metrics. not great from what I've heard. But he doesn't throw anybody out. Doesn't do anything defensively. What? 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 He's not fast. So when he walks, it's not like he can steal second. He doesn't really take first to third. He's not a burner. Like, like what? What? What is this guy worth? He stole six bases this year. How six. many has he stolen his career? Thirty-eight. Wow. JT JT Real Muto, the catcher of the Phillies, is only the second catcher ever to have a twenty-twenty year, behind only Pudge in ninety-nine. He stole 20 bags. I think he stole 21, actually. He's not a great athlete. His, his, what he's worth is, can, are you going to be a run producer? And everybody keeps telling you, oh, he walks a lot. Are you really going to pay $500 million for a guy that walks a lot? According to baseball reference, his defensive war with the Nationals was negative 0.7, but he had a positive 0.1 with the with the. Padres, you add that up. On the playoffs. You add that up, it's negative 0.6. million? Not looking half, good right now. Half a billion. Let me put it this this way. $500 million, I think we've been desensitized to $300 million, $400 million. Let me put it this way. Half a billion dollars. Are you going to pay, watching with your own eyes, what you've seen, you're going to pay Juan Soto Half a billion dollars? Uh, probably not. No. If you were an owner, I mean, after what we saw, what's your seeing? return on investment on that? Like, what would he have to do? What would he have to do to be worth five hundred billion dollars? Million? A million dollars? What are you, Doctor Evil? One million dollars. Like, what? What would he have to for to be worth five hundred million? Well, look at it this way: we're we, gonna have to do more than walk. We know what Shohei Otani brings to the team outside of what he does on the field. I mean, he brings a lot of money from advertising and Lots jersey sales and Lots of merch money. sales. So, and apparently Otani wasn't happy with the season the Angels had. I mean, why would you be? Um, he goes, I had a, from a, you know, personal stand, I had a good season, but the team did not. Well, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know. They got it. I have the direct quote, but Otani talked to the. Did anybody ask him about that uh, stretch at the beginning of the year when they lost 14 straight and whatever it was? 16 out of 17 or whatever, and they got their manager fired, and he was terrible. This is the quote. Uh, it was a good season for me personally. Not so good for the Angels, though. I have to say that August and September in particular felt longer to me than last year. We're, we were not able to play as many good games as we would like, including 14 consecutive losses. So I have a, I have a rather negative impression of this season. During those 14 straight losses, Shohei Otani hit like a buck fifty-seven. And was 0-2 with like a 9 ERA as a pitcher. I want you to think about this. When you say Shohei Otani 
Because I didn't realize Ben Verlander is such a big Otani guy. He's done a whole documentary on him. Oh, my God. I was watching it last night going, oh, wow. Like, gone to Japan. Like, he, like, he like worships Otani. Um, do you realize, since Otani takes up two players, right? You essentially say he's two players, right? Isn't that, isn't that the sales job? Yeah. So during that, So, during that stretch, he basically, if he's two players, he basically makes up Eight percent of your roster, then. Fair point. Yes. And then you throw Trout in there. That's what eleven percent. So basically, Trout Trout went bad, and Otani went bad as a hitter and pitcher. So basically, twelve percent of your roster went in the tank when you lost those games. Otani was terrible when they lost those games. Nobody brings. We brought Tr- out. Trout wasn't very good either. That's what I'm saying. So if you if Otani actually counts for two and you throw in Trout, three guys, that's like twelve percent of your roster. Down the drain. Yeah, and now and now we're talking about wanting to give him a th- he's making thirty million. But remember next everybody year. doesn't want to blame them. Wait a minute. You lost fourteen straight games, sixteen out of seventeen, whatever it was. And your three best players, because you're saying Trout uh, Otani counts for two. Right? Yeah. Your three best players. That's Otani, counts for two, and Trout. That's basically 12% of your team sucked, and they're your best players. Your best players sucked for those games, and you lost those games, but no one wants to blame them for those games. Yeah, uh, give me a second. I'll see what Mike Trout ended up doing during that time. It's one something. Because it, it was like, what was that, end of May, early June? when they Second month. Remember, Joe Madden got fired, and then they brought Phil Nevin in, and Nevin got a contract extension. No, I got one year. I wouldn't know. All right, let's see. Trout, during that time. Is that not going to pull me up his stats, or do I need to calculate it myself? I might have to, I'm gonna, usually, baseball references brings up wow. like a little box. What a, what a buzz killer you are. Oh, there we, there we go. Uh, in 46 at-bats, Trout was 7 for 46, two home runs, four runs driven, and that's a batting average of 152. So, Otani at 157, right? It was something like – it was under 200. Something like that. And Trout hit 152. But it's not their fault. It's not their fault they lost 14 games. It's not Trout's fault. Wait a minute. It is. He hit a buck 52. Tell me what Otani did during that 14-game losing streak. Uh, okay, give me a second. It's amazing. It's like, wait a minute, your best players don't well play well, and you go on a losing streak. I know he was 0-2, and his ERA was yeah, over I 9. Yeah, I remember the pitching part. Okay, let's see. Otani. No. This is where statistics lie and liars use statistics. Otani. Why is this giving me 32 games? It keeps – give me one second. It keeps going back to – it keeps highlighting it. Like back I'm, to, I'm trying to highlight this, and you're supposed to – you said you're going to prove my point here. You're supposed to, like, bring this up. I mean, MLB Network, their guys would have it already. You're, 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 my, you're my research team. Brian Kenny goes to the research and data guys. There's also, like, nine of them, and there's one of me. So I I, I, step, your, step your game up. Right, now baseball reference is taking forever to load. All right, here we go. Loading. Uh, he was 8 of 43, so he hit 186. 
152 and 186. They combined hit four home runs in that span. 186 and 152. And he was 0 for 2 with a 9-something ERA. So Shohei Otani makes up two players, as everybody says. So those two players stunk, stunk during the losing streak. Add Trout, that's three players. Oh, you know what? I, I completely forgot. I then add, So his batting average actually was – there was one, other, one more game I missed. 192. So still under 200. And you wonder why the Angels lost all those games consecutively? And then the media tried to say, you, you media people – New media? Because Dr- Draymond Green considers me new media, then there's the old media, which is you. Wouldn't I be? I'd be new media. I'm streaming. I'm on, uh, I'm I, on YouTube I mean, and Twitter. You've been, you've been in the industry for a while, so you're old media, according I, to him. I, I'm, an adap- I'm an adapter. <laughs> I would be old media, huh? Uh, according to old media, they said, oh, no, you know what? According to new media, because you guys are all about your analytics, tell me that. They sucked. They sucked during that 14. And you guys tried to give them a pass. He struck out 18 times in those 47 at-bats. If Otani makes up two players and both those versions of that player sucked and add Trout, that's that's like 13% or 12% of your roster went into the tank during that losing streak. Between both of them, 35 strikeouts in that. Is it not their fault, the reason why they lost? Yeah, you're talking about them, those two guys, that being 12% of the roster for three guys. Oh, and your other high-paid player was uh, Hurt. Rendon. At the time. Remember, he came back for the last few games of the year. All right. Coming up next. Where did I want to go with that? God, you just you 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 derailed me. All I know is I've got some interesting factoids for you. Yes, I found it. We also have the Dodgers stuff. I've got oh yeah, the Dodgers Andrew, stuff. The Andrew Friedman audio. But I got some inter- I got some, I did some homework today. Next, right here on A's Cast Live. <laughs> A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. Next Friday, Fieldwork Brewing in San Leandro. We are going to have a Game 1 World Series watch party. We finally got it confirmed. We'll have more details for you. We're going to be there from 1 to 4. What time does the game start? I think those games usually start at like 5.07 our time. So eight o'clock on the East We Coast. may want to go all the way up till the first. We may want to go till five, or maybe we just go from two to five that day. Don't don't switch the listenership. If you got to talk a little more and your pretty face has to be on camera a little more, I think you can handle it. Maybe a one to five show. Ooh, can you handle that? Yeah, we saw the. Uh, then you say uh, Bip Roberts is supposed to be stopping by. Eno Saris will be there. Eno Saris is going to be there. Bip Roberts is going to be there. Our last dive bar guys are going to be there, Brian and the boys. So, yeah, we're having a party. World Series Game 1. Come check it out. We're going to have more details coming your way. Also, something to look forward to on Friday, we're going to have the great Hall of Famer Raleigh Fingers on to talk about the 1973 World Series A's beating the Mets. So, Raleigh on Friday. And Feldy will talk about it as well on top of everything else. College football. But, yeah, Raleigh fingers 230 on Friday. Uh, You know what the biggest question I have? The biggest question I have about the 73 World Series. Do you know what that may be? Uh, No. I was going to say. You you should be. How did Raleigh pitch? How did this guy pitch so many innings? This should be the number one thought 
that all of us that didn't see that series, I was one years old during that time, so I was not sitting there watching Kurt Gowdy or who, who called the series. It was, Monty Moore got in yeah, on it. So the, uh, it was Kurt Gowdy, and I want to say it was Tony Kubek. Okay. For all of us that either were babies or not alive, we should have one question, the number one question. You don't know what that is. There could be a lot of questions, but what is it? How the hell do the Mets get in the World Series? <laughs> Willie Mays is an old guy, old. He's like 40, and he's your best player. Remember, they were talking about, oh, the last days of Willie Mays. 82 and 79. Just get in. How do they? How does the, how do these guys? They, and they, then they won the NLCS against the Reds, who were the, they were the big red machine. Big red machine to big gag machine. Go down to Willie Mays. How old is he? You know, his numbers. Remember, people are like, Willie, they, they made it seem like Willie Mays was embarrassing himself. Uh, he was 42. He hit 211, uh, six home runs, 25 runs driven in. What? He was 42? He was their best player? Their best their best overall hitter on the team that year. If you want to go by average, their uh, Felix Milan hit 290. Who? But he hit three homers and drove in 37. Their best power hitter and RBI guy was Rusty Staub. Oh, Rusty Staub was a and really And right good field player. at age 29, 279, 15 homers, 76 runs driven in. They were managed by uh, 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 um, Yogi Berra. Correct. Like maybe one of the greatest. Your Yankees. best player is your manager. Your best player is your retired manager and your forty-two-year-old two future Hall of Famers. Who well, else? I mean, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. They got what's his name? They used to slap the glove. Tug McGraw, Tug McGraw was there. Yeah, he was their closer. Was he closing at the time? He had twenty-five saves. Okay, Tug McGraw, I know, was there. Uh, Tom Seaver. Uh, he was 19 and 10 with a 208 ERA. Hall of Famer. One of the, Tom Seaver's one of the best pitchers of all time. 290 innings that year. Tom Seaver is, if you actually go look at his career, you talk greatest pitchers of all time. Just not a Hall of Famer. He's great. Tom Seaver, if you go back to Tom Seaver's prime, he's one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived. How many games did he win? Tom Seaver in his career won. He won 19 that year at age 28. In his career, he won 311 games. And his ERA? 286. 286. It's amazing. Maybe the best athlete to come out of Fresno? Uh, USC Trojan. So, I, I what, what, you go him and then? Best winemaking he's, big leaguer of all time? He's done a lot. Other guys in that rotation, Jerry Kuzman was 15, 14 and 15. Well, All right, so you got two legit. Kuzman was legit. He had a losing record, but he had a two A four ERA. John Matlock had a <laughs> losing record. I've heard of him. He had a three twenty ERA. Uh, George Stone was twelve and three that year Who? with a two eighty ERA. Who? He only started twenty games. Who? The only three guys started over thirty games. Was it Nolan Ryan on that team? Uh, no, he would have been a. He would have been. A, was he already an angel by nineteen seventy three? Oh, nineteen seventy three was the year Nolan had three hundred and eighty three strikeouts. By the way. I I I want to can we throw a challenge flag on history? You need to watch uh, facing Nolan on Netflix. And I've been wanting to. My wife and I've been both wanting to watch it. Okay, well then when are you going to watch it? Well, I wanted to watch it on the airplane coming back from Iceland, but she didn't want to watch it then. I want to throw the flag. Can I throw the challenge flag on history? Yeah. Nolan Ryan in nineteen is it nineteen seventy three? He struck out three hundred eighty three batters. I'm pulling up the stats from that year on that's that's team stats. 
Nolan Ryan in 1973, because some people go, you never want to saw young. It just tells you how ridiculous this is. Nolan Ryan sets the record for 383 strikeouts. Never been done before. Passes Sandy Koufax's idol. Throws two no-hitters in the year. And has a phenomenal year and finishes second in Cy Young. I think he won 21 games. Just go to Nolan Ryan. Oh, I was looking. I was just trying to see how good he was compared to everyone else that year. Just go to Nolan Ryan. You can look at his years. Look at the year, 1973. Give me the. Give me the. Get. 26 years old. He went 21 and 16, a 2.87 ERA, 326 innings, 383 strikeouts. Finished second in the Cy Young. And threw two no hitters. Who won the Cy Young that year? Jim Palmer. He, Palmer finished second in the MVP. You don't think Palmer got the East Coast bias behind no. him versus a guy pitching for the then California Angels? Once again, I was one years old. I don't know how big the California Angels were back then. Who uh, who led base? Who led all baseball in WAR that year? Nineteen seventy three. I'll give you a clue. We were just talking about him. Reginald Martinez Jackson. Uh, no, we were literally just talking about this guy with the Mets. All-time great pitcher from Fresno. Oh, Seaver? He had 11 war that year. He won the Cy Young that year, too. But you're, to, you're, you're saying starting pitcher. He, you're basically saying it, you and your people who now don't care about starting pitchers and wins, and like, you just say he's crap. Yeah. Overrated. Yeah, he won uh, He had a temp, uh, won the Cy Young. Mike Marshall finished second. Um, a reliever who pitched in 92 games finished second. By the way, we are at the five and third mark for Blake Snell. Uh, he's at 80 pitches. This could be his final. We're at five and a third right now. Over If he gets one more out and you took the over, you cash in at Townie's Little Bookie Shop. Let's see. Let's see one what Hoskins does. One more out. Now, if he does not. Oh, there out, it is. The over hit. The over hit. Blake Snell has gone five and two thirds. Start right. Well, you can't cash your ticket till after the no, game. No, he's gone four and two thirds. It's the fifth inning. Oh. So we still got a chance, baby. Still got a chance. <laughs> he's at 83 pitches now? Yeah, he's not. No way. He's not pitching in the sixth. If you got the under, you're looking good. Bobby, get up uh, get up, Suarez or one of those guys. So Raleigh's showing up here on Friday, the great Raleigh Fingers, who we have made a case on this show is the greatest reliever of all time. All right, we went through the high leverage and all It's all not even that. close. It's at the high leverage, the innings. It's not even close. Mariano Rivera is greatness. He was as good as Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh in 1973, 7-8 with a 1.92 ERA. He pitched in 62 games, started two of them. He had uh, – how many saves did he have? He had 22 saves that year, 110 strikeouts and 126 and two-thirds innings. He was an all-star at age 26. Yeah. Let's just go to old Mariano Rivera, and let's look at the – Give me the most in his prime, great years, the most innings he pitched. Uh, Raleigh? Yeah. Um, the most innings he pitched in his career was when he was 23. He had 148 innings. Most, but he started 19 games that year. Most most uh, most innings ever pitched for Mariano Rivera was 107. Yeah, if you look at Raleigh non-starting, he had 134. And By the way, he was, not, he was not the saves guy then. 
That was John Wetland. Wetland. All right, when he became Mr. Saves guy, look how look how look how low the innings are. 69, 61, 75, 70. He didn't pitch. I mean, Raleigh's pitching 100 innings every year as the save guy. I'm looking at 126, 119, 126, 134, 132. It's not even close. For his career, how many innings pitch did Mariano Rivera pitch? Mariano or, or Raleigh? Mariano, uh, Raleigh. I got uh, 1,701 and a third. Yeah. And how many years? Uh, that was 17 years. All right. I've got 19 years for for Mariano, and he's just 1,283 uh, uh, and two-thirds. So he pitched way more. Yeah. Wasn't Rivera a starter before in the minors, too? And they made him a Bob star- Melvin caught Mariano Rivera in AAA as a starter. Yeah, so – and Raleigh in his career started 37 games. I mean, it's not – if you take well, – how, what did we figure out the high leverage innings weren't even – there? And, and, and this is where you're like – you look like a jerk if you're saying, oh, Mariano Rivera. But Mariano Rivera didn't even pitch even half the high leverage innings that uh, Raleigh Fingers did. Yeah. It's, not even, it's not even close. I think I did career and was like, it's not even close. Let me see if I can if they'll bring up the high leverage. Do you still want to get to your Dodgers thing and your your facts? I know we're we went off on a. That's all it usually happens when we talk about guys from back in yesteryear. Uh, yes. Raleigh's a reliever. Won 107 games. He won seven as a starter. <laughs> now let me ask you this: as a guy that says wins don't matter. He's getting those wins in high leverage situations. Do those wins now matter? Oh, this is a good. You got to admit, this is a good question. Yeah, but that, let's 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 date it back. Starting pitchers, that 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 this whole this whole thing came about because starting pitchers started throwing less innings, so they started demand. So it demanded that the bullpen pitch more innings. So then, if you threw a good game, like five innings, six innings, and gave up one run or less and struck out a bunch of guys, a la Jacob DeGrom. Cody was like, is it his fault that the team didn't win the game after that? Because he did his job. Okay, and then traditionalists go, well, he didn't pitch enough. That's garbage. So Cody's generation goes, pitchers' wins don't matter for starting pitchers. Well, here's Raleigh Fingers pitching in a boatload of high-leverage innings at the end of the game. Getting wins. Are we going to be a hypocrite and say that wins now do matter? You have to look. I think you. I think his wins will matter. But you have to look at when he came in too. Did he come in trailing and the team scored runs and he got a win? I mean, that's he came down by four runs and they got. But who knows how often that actually happened in the seventies? The, the A's were so good when he played for them. I mean, are, are, are you, you're, you're saying all these wins the A's were down and then they came back and he got the win? That he has just a bunch of vulture wins. You're calling him a vulture? No, but I don't know those numbers for sure of how many times he came in with them. But you would go to the extreme. With the wins? Probably, yeah. You would go to the extreme because you're trying to prove a point because you know you're wrong. You're going to go to the very extreme of what a vulture win is. Raleigh came in, they were down four, and actually, you know, the offense scored six and he got the win. I'm going to say that probably happened less than maybe 2% of the time. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, I don't know if so it, let me a way ask to you again, that. a guy getting wins as a pitcher in mostly high leverage situations at the end of games. Now do wins matter for a pitcher then? Yeah. 
I just don't think I, – I always said, when does it matter for starting pitchers? Oh, but you never said they mattered for relievers. Now you're saying they matter for a reliever when he does it. I care more about saves. Pitching the high leverage. Oh, he made, made it through five. Is he going to go out for the sixth is the question. Bob Melvin, my, my kid's college education is writing on this. <laughs> By the way, Bob Melvin, let's just say Bob Melvin and the Padres move on to take on the Houston Astros. Ooh. Could Bob Melvin keep Dusty Baker and keep the Astros from this coronation? You never know. That'd be a great storyline. All right. I got to say this. Andrew Friedman, he is the president of baseball operations, chief smarty, smarty pants for the L.A. Dodgers. You've heard us rip the Dodgers. The Dodgers spent all this money on players, all this money on research and data, that data, as I like to say. They spent all this money on – they've got scientists. they got Ph.D. guys. They've got independent contractors. They've got think tanks. They spend so much money on information because they're the smartest guys in the room. We have found this out over time. You, you'd be astonished on how much money they spend on data. It's crazy. And yet at the end of the games, the guys that they have in relief are making 700 grand. 720, 700. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a, take it one step further. They're either Rule 5 guys or guys that they signed out of. Yancey Almonte, we were going to say that on the phone. He had a five, almost a six ERA last year. His ERA was almost under one this year for the Dodgers. And then the people always talked about, oh, their system, their system. Wait a minute. Who's out of their, their primetime guys? Who's out of their system? Because Cody Bellinger sucks now. Gavin yeah. Lux? Lux. Uh, let's see. Well, I don't think Tra- uh, Trace Thompson's a guy. Uh, you signed Don't Freeman. slap me, Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith might be the he might be the only guy. That Don't could, slap me. Turner's not. Turner was a Met who couldn't hit. Uh, Mookie Betts. Mookie wasn't. Freddie Freeman. No, he's not crying about Atlanta. Uh, They're pitchers though. So Kershaw, Bueller, Gonsolin. Okay, Kershaw's so old. I'll give you that, but. Justin Turner isn't. No, no. They're the Trey most, Turner isn't. Most of their position players aren't, except for Bellinger and Will Smith. Okay. And Lux. All right. Let's hear Andrew Friedman, press conference. You're the smarty smartison guy, right? This guy is the guy that's telling Dave Roberts what to do. They're scripted. There's no doubt about it. They have a script. Dave Roberts has to go pull all these starters early. Got to pull them. Because Andrew Friedman and his staff, they are sticking to the data. Data data's won them all these regular season games. They've only been they've only had the one great success. I, I do think going to the World Series is a great success, but they've lost in the World Series to the Astros. They beat the Rays in the World Series in the COVID year. But they've had a lot of disappointments and they get knocked out. And this one was the toughest one because they'd won 111 games. They're historic when you look at run, uh, run differential. They were the best at scoring runs. They were the best at preventing runs. They did it all. But in the postseason, they just looked blah. Nothing special. Padres knocked them out. Andrew Friedman's got to talk to the media after, has to give an explanation. Will he own the moment? Here is the Dodgers president of baseball operations. The expectations here are incredibly high, and that's awesome. 
I love how passionate our fans are. Those expectations are shared by everyone that works here. In the front office, in the coach's room, Dave, our players. Uh, I personally don't think the criticism that Dave has received has been fair. Um, I think it's human nature to want to point the finger at someone. Um, and I feel like this was an organizational uh, failure in the postseason. I feel like, you know, our regular season goal, we accomplished. We put ourselves in the very best position you can to go out and win 11 games in October. We didn't come close to doing that. And <clears throat> I think there are fairly clear answers as to why and others that aren't <clears throat> as clear. But I think, you know, that passion is awesome and love it. But I feel like all of us are incredibly disappointed. And, you know, at least the way my mind works is taking this moment, learning what we can from what has happened and doing everything we can to avoid this going forward. Now, getting back to your point, what can we do going in to hopefully put ourselves in a position to play in October next year? And then once we're able to accomplish that, how do we put ourselves in the best position to be the hottest team during that stretch? I don't know the answer to that, but we'll definitely spend time trying to figure it out. Okay. I saw that. I immediately texted it to Cody, said we need to play this on the show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the benefit of the doubt. This is a man that runs the business. He's the president of baseball operations. The buck stops with him. He makes all these decisions. And I think he was very honest there. That was not, you know, that was not, you know, if someone said, hey, Ace Cast isn't working, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm really good, but, you know, this guy right here, you know, if Cody was, you know, you, you see that all the time. You see guys want to pass the buck. It's not me. It's not my fault. He uh, he owned it. I thought he owned it. I thought it was professional. I thought that's what you need to say. So I'm not going to fault uh, unless I'm wrong. I, I I I you know what else was it? What else? What else do you say? I mean, it was it was a failure top to bottom. Their data failed them. Their ideas failed them. Their strategy failed them. Their players, the humans failed. The stats failed. The data failed. It all failed. It all failed. And I I have an idea about this, but I'll let you comment on what you heard. You got any problem with what you heard? No, I'm I'm glad to hear him say that. You know the the criticisms towards Dave Roberts is unwarranted. It should be. He's not the one making the decisions. You're passing the stuff. You're passing the notes down to him and telling him what to do. And I, I respect Andrew Freeman for coming out and doing it because, I don't know, how many how many guys really do go in front of the media like he did? Like guys go on Zoom calls and stuff, but he actually sat at the, in the media room at Dodger Stadium in person and, and addressed the, the writers in L.A., which, you know, there's a much bigger following of Dodger writers than there are for most teams. And he owned it. You're right, 100%. Now, they, they got a lot of decisions to make in the offseason. They got guys that are going to be free agents and, 
guys that are going to – Do you, you know, want to know who the free agents are? I think David Price is retiring, so you got that. No. Yeah, uh, Can't real, let him go. Real quick, Shooty needs to reschedule, so no Shooty today. Tell him he needs to show up on Friday then. Oh, I'll, I'll ask him. We're having a party next Friday. San Leandro. Some people like to call it the Dro. San Leandro will be having a party. Fieldwork Brewing will be there from 1 to now 5 o'clock, and we'll be watching game one of the World Series. Notable free agents, Trey Turner, Clayton Kershaw, Craig Kimbrell, who now, that looks like a disaster keeping him off the roster. Because uh, Josh Hader and Bob Melvin have proven that. Uh, yeah, everyone wanted to write him off like he was done. Justin Turner, Andrew Heaney, Tyler Anderson, Tommy Canely, uh, Alberto Price, Gallo. I don't think they really matter. Um, wow, Gallo doesn't matter. I mean, it's true, but doesn't matter. So, wait, well, hold on. Trade candidate Will Smith. Don't you, slap me. Do uh, not slap me. I mean, they must have a lot of faith in Diego uh, Cartia, who's playing in, like, low A or maybe in high A or double A now as a catcher, if that's what they're trying to do. So, I thought about this. And this is something that they just don't have the data for. And you see it. You see it, like, I can give you a ton of examples. You can see all these different examples. But I'm just going to go with their series. There's something about toughness and guts and resolve. There's something about that in crunch time. That, that, that you, don't, you don't necessarily have in the 162-game schedule. The 162-game schedule, it, it it does a few things. One, it reveals your warts. You will be exposed. Everybody gets exposed. No one's perfect, right? Very few perfect teams. The Dodgers were supposed to be one of the perfect teams. Like the 98 Yankees were a pretty perfect team. So 162 games really exposes you. And... The really what you see all the time is <laughs> it's tough. Nola's dad uh, trying to uh, Padre fans want to high five him, and of course his son's pitching, son's hitting, just hit. So his son, <laughs> his one son, just got his hit off the other son, and they want him to rejoice. And uh, he that's a tough situation, but pretty amazing though. Your two kids are playing against each other. Does he have the does yeah. he have the dual jerseys on again? Yes, he, he on does. Oh, he well, I don't know. It's 100 degrees. Well, they say it's 8000 degrees uh, in San Diego. 91, right 91. It's uh 89 here right now. But what we're seeing is it's just cuz you're great for 6 months and you get in the routine of winning series after series after series and racking up victories, that doesn't translate to now you're playing in a series, now it's about who's the toughest, who's the best fighter. And there's something to be said about this series where you could really look at it. You've got a Dodger team that's coming in oozing confidence, we thought. They'd won 111 games. But what you really have is a San Diego Pottery team that's frothing at the mouth for this fight. 
Like, they got through the Mets, and they wanted this fight so bad. Bob Melvin wanted it. The players wanted it. The team went to a point to where they wouldn't sell tickets to people who weren't in San Diego County. And here the Dodgers come in, and I'm telling you, because I've seen it when they've come to play the A's. This mentality of we're so freaking cool and everybody's got their their jerseys unbuttoned and everybody's got their chains. You should see the way the Dodgers dress for BP. They dress for BP like very non-professional. I mean, they're 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 really Johnny Cool guys. In the meantime, you got a Padre team over there that's like, we want to kick these guys' ass so bad. Like, the, the, the desperation and the fight and the want was so big with the Padres, and the Dodgers had none. Dodgers had no fight. They had no fight offensively. They had no fight defensively. And you look, you go, but they won 111 games. Yeah, and it got to the postseason, and now they're facing a team who is beside themselves. They're so tired of getting their ass kicked that they're going to bring everything they can, and they're going to do everything in their power, and everything that they've put into the universe is about beating you. Every decision that they have made is about beating you. Everything the Padres have done at the trading deadline, everything that's going on is about beating you. And what happened? Padres won, and Dodgers didn't show up. Do you think there's something to that? Yeah. They won 111 games. They're showing up, laser fair, taking their BP. Everybody looks so cool. They're the Dodgers. I mean, you've seen how they play. And then, and then all of a sudden, they you're, you're going up against an animal that's that that want. They wanted them bad. Yeah. They wanted them really, really bad. You got out. You got out toughed. Especially for a team that you've owned them, and they they want to. It's uh, if the Astros or the Yankees don't come out like that against the Astros, it's going to be disappointing too. I'll give you a great example. I'll give you more. Right, recently watching that last dance, I guarantee you, in 1998, the last one for the Chicago Bulls. I can guarantee you, this is the end of the run. Wow, biggest hit of Juan Soto's career as a Padre, right there, to tie the game. It's the only hit of his career for the Padres. <laughs> uh, RBI double down the right field line, 4-4 in the, in the bottom of the fifth. And then he's going to celebrate like, ah, God. $500 million. <laughs> But uh, focus here. So the last dance, I guarantee you, that last year, the Pacers were really a better team. They were younger. They were more athletic. They had great players. And I guarantee you that second year, the Jazz, they were better than the Bulls. Oh, yeah, with Stockton, Malone. We went over that team. The Pacers. They, they were younger. Pacers had Miller and, what, uh, Dale Davis. and They had the Davis brothers. I mean, they had they had Mullen. They had, they had all kinds of players. Was it, Mark was, Jackson. They had, uh, what's his the name center? on ESPN? Uh, they had the Dutchman, the Dunking Dutchman. Not Mark. Uh, I think I think Mark I'm, Eaton was. Uh, yes. That's the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, Schmitz, not Schmitz. Mark Schmitz. Was it Schmitz? I, th- I thought it was Mark Schmitz. Schmitz. Let me see. Schmitz. I'm looking up that team right now. They want 58-24. Larry Bird is their head coach, by the yeah, way. Yeah, of course. Uh, Rick Schmitz. Rick Schmitz, Fred Hoiberg, the coach of the uh, so, 
Nebraska basketball team. But why do the Bulls beat them? Why the Bulls? Bulls are older. Bulls and Bulls were gassed. You watch that last dance and you see the behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on. They're mentally and physically. Why did the Bulls beat them? Because they wanted it more? Jordan? I don't know if they wanted it more. I just think they're tougher. Yeah, well, I mean, Jordan. I mean, t- it was, wasn't all Jordan. It was all those guys. They were just tougher. I mean, why do the Golden State Warriors win? The Warriors are tough, man. The Warriors are – you can talk shooting. You can talk – you can talk about their analytics. You, the Warriors are tough. They're battle-hardened. That's like The Dodgers are not that. Why are the Astros here again? Why do the Astros not go out? Put it this way. If the Yankees had gone out yesterday against the Guardians, they did not go out like chumps. That's something I'll give the Yankees credit. And you know what you don't also don't see? Because you know what the Dodgers and the White Sox, whenever I see everybody's got the jewelry and everybody's got all that, you know, and I just go, that's not the Yankees. The Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees have a standard. And whether that standard works or not, the Yankees never go out like chumps. They may go out because they don't, they don't hit home runs. They, but the Yankees, you'll say, and I respect this, they don't go out as chumps. No, I mean, they they have a team. I mean, it's like we we're treating it like they've never like they've been in this situation before. They're tough, and their manager instills that. I, I think I think Aaron Boone gets shafted a lot and deserve you know deservedly sometimes. But I think that he instills that way. I mean, he was a great play. He was a big player in the postseason for for them, and now look what he's doing. Yeah, he's intense. Like yeah, you don't feel this intensity with LA. You feel that they got this great talent and that they're basically going to roll their jocks out and they're going to beat you. But, I mean, we have, we have now seen this too. And I'll give you, you know, you look at the Atlanta Braves run that only produced one World Series title, and this may be the case for the Dodgers too. But those Braves teams, they got beat, and they but they, but they didn't go out ever as chumps. They got beat by good teams, and they were great series. And when they got beat, they got beat. But they played multiple World Series. They got beat by other good teams. This team just went out as a chump. Yeah, Braves reached the – they won like eight straight years of reaching the uh, NLCS. The Astros are at six. Those Braves teams were good. I mean – They didn't go out as chump. You just watched a 111-win team go out as a chump. Yeah, they, I mean, they couldn't even push push it to five games. They went out yeah, four. they didn't even go five games. And by the way, you, do you like Do you how, think Greg Maddox was coming out after five innings? Or Glavin or Smoltz or I'm just saying it's like like Mike Hampton. Everybody's talking you know, everybody praises them about about all time this, all time that. They're so smart. They're so that are you really that smart if you have everything and you really don't win? Like, great, you're the regular season kings. Great, you're the regular season kings of the AOS. But you get uh, the NLS, but you get into the postseason. They've now gone out multiple times as chumps. Multiple times. Multiple times they've gone out early. Last year they went out. Um, I'll tell you, they were a wildcard team last year. So they went, in the, they went out in the NLCS. Um, yeah, it, it, but to have all that talent and for Dave Roberts to have won 100 games three different times in his tenure and you, you've only reached the, you've reached the World Series, what, twice? Lost in 17, won in 2020. Right, I'm. I'm not missing a year where they. Really and I hate to say it, I and I, because uh, I don't agree with it, but a lot of people are 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 gonna say, 
Well, that was kind of the that was the COVID World Series. So it's almost like they're not even getting credit for it. Even though that was a World Series, every, we've documented how tough it was. Uh, something's wrong there. And I w- I'll say this right now, and I'm not trying to be hot take guy, but I would not bring Dave Roberts back. Well, they already, I mean, I'm, I, that was the first thing I thought about to the game. Like, are they going to bring him back? And then you see they are bringing him back, and you mentioned how there's a, he has a three-year contract extension that kicks in next year. According to the L.A. Times. That's not, yeah. not according to Chris Townsend. That's co- according to the L.A. Times. I mean – that he agreed to a three-year extension, so it would have been added on to his contract, and really that extension kicks in next year. Yeah, and he, and he has he's won like I said, a hundred games three more three or more t- or three times in his tenure. He has the highest winning percentage. I think well, we, the research we did, he has the highest winning percentage we've seen through, for any manager in the history of their career. And we we're looking at Hall of Famers uh, that we went back and looked at. But I mean, is are people still are his players still listening to him in the clubhouse? I mean, well, I mean, we already know he doesn't make the decisions clearly. But, I mean, when yeah, does that start wearing thin with the players if you're not fighting back on things? When, 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 does it, when does it affect the entire game? We've talked about it kind of – it's always been like whispers, right? It's like when Barry Bloom uh, – and I don't even know who Barry's with now, but he's a longtime baseball writer. Ask Mark Kotze that question. Are, are, are you making the decisions? You know, ever since Moneyball – when it's like, hey, uh, here's the dirty little secret. Front offices view managers as middle management. The managers are not making the decisions the way they used to. People have a hard time with that, but that's a reality in the sport. So you start to wonder, you know, you got this new generation of players that, are, that keeps coming up, and – especially if you're a team dealing with star players who have guaranteed contracts, at what point have you had this guy here, you've not gotten over the hump, and, oh, yeah, they know you don't make the sh- you don't call the shots. I can tell you from something that I've experienced, um, you know, through years, I think a lot of people in the Bay Area would understand this, is, you know, all the years that Al Davis, basically his head coaches were puppets and his coaches were puppets, the players knew it. So the players would be – the players a lot of times love talking to Al because they knew Al made the, was making the decisions behind the scenes and that their own coaches meant nothing. So whatever the coaches said, who gives a crap what the coach says? Who cares what your position coach says? If Al likes you, you're playing. That's, a, that's, that's, that's an awful, awful way to run an organization. But – and that's where I look at now. Like, I mean, at what point does Dave Roberts, like Bob Melvin had a speech with the Padres this year. It motivated him. And then they, you know, he basically said this is all, I mean, it kind of motivated him through the media. Then behind, you know, kind of got it. You know, Bob doesn't do it often, but when he does, people listen. He, he jumped there, you know what. I mean, there are times where the leader has to be the guy and has to get into guys. Uh, Bob did that last year at the Ace too, if I'm not mistaken. There's after a after a series in, after a series in Seattle. There's always a certain point where, but if Dave Roberts does that, I mean, if Dave Roberts does he does he command the room anymore? That's a good question. That's what I mean. Like, is his voice? Are the players still listening to his voice in the in the clubhouse? And if if not, then you have to replace him. But they're not clearly. That not. is the danger. That that also is the danger for a pitching coach and the manager when you constantly take your starters out early 
and you know that that's coming from the front office, like if you're the pitchers, like we had, we, we, you know, to tell people, to be honest, we had an A's player tell us about some stuff this year about manipulating contracts. I mean, this stuff goes through the clubhouse. And if players know that you're trying to manipulate contracts or they believe that, they perceive that, how do you think they feel about when coaches tell them about stuff? Yeah. It's never going to be good. And Nope. And it's – what Dave Roberts, the success is there. But, again – how much of it is really on him for what he's been able to do? But if you replace him, who do you replace him with? Another puppet? Yeah. Or do you want? Or the player is going to say, "We want a guy that's actually going to have a, a fight back, and and you know stand up to the front office." Because there there is something about having a manager who you as a player you think this guy has my back. Would you feel as a player that Dave Roberts has your back? Honestly, probably not. Right, I, I mean, would. The best example is Kershaw. He pulled him, he's an all-time great. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He pulled him with 79 pitches in a playoff game. If this was early May and you pulled him with 79 pitches, sure, because you know he has injury history throughout his career. But to do it in the postseason when you need him and he was actually pitching okay, it, does, it didn't make sense to me at all. I, uh, I, I, I wouldn't believe it. That's why – if I was one of these teams that I'm watching these playoffs and I think that I got the talent and that I want to get my team to a next level, like if I'm the Toronto Blue Jays, why would I not call Bruce Bochy? Yeah, or a wash or someone that has experience. It's the players are going to – Wash may maybe have too much of a his, history behind – Wash may have too much against him history-wise. But, I mean, you're talking about Bruce Bochy's won three World Series titles. Yeah, he's been the, and he's managed at another with the, the Padres. Why? I mean, if you're looking for, I mean, Charlie Montoya, who? I mean, you, you, you're looking, you've got all this young talent. You're trying to get this young talent to now be in a, in, in a spot that can take on the Yankees for the division, get into the postseason, win in the postseason, why wouldn't you look more? I mean, are veteran managers, especially if the Astros win and Dusty Baker wins? I mean, how many people are going to, you know, copycat league, now be like, you know, everybody went young because everybody had to be young and had to be totally uh, versed in analytics. How many how many people are now going to look around and go, man, look what, look, look what Dusty did in Houston. Look at Bob Melvin in San Diego. Look at Tito Francona. I mean, Snitker's older in Atlanta. So, will that be a trend? And why wouldn't you? Why Why the hell wouldn't you if you're the Blue Jays? I, I think the Blue Jays because they got a tremendous amount of talent. And they got money to spend still. Yeah, and, and their manager, who did a nice job with them whenever they fired Montoyo, but is he the guy you want to bring back next year? We I haven't seen anything about their managerial search on what they're going to do. I mean, we saw the Angels bring back Phil Nevin, and I mean, I mean, your team that has three superstars, two for sure. I don't know if we consider Rendon a superstar still, or ever did. But though, those two guys, oh boy, one run will score. Oh, Padres take the lead on the Phillies bullpen. All right, let's get to uh, some buying or selling. 
It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Did you think Aaron Nola would be the first pitcher to come out of the game over Blake Snell? Well, you know what I thought? I thought Philly accomplished the mission. Get one in San Diego. Yeah, they, they as they say, the and, series doesn't start until the road team wins a game. So the fact that you get game one, you know, if you end up losing, if you, if you take game two, basically the season, the, the series is over. There's only, what, three teams? I told you I have all kinds of nuggets for you. Of the 26 teams to lose their first two games at home in the best of seven postseason series using the 2-3-2 format, only three have come back to win the series. Who am I? First to go down 2-0 in the series, that'd be the Red Sox, right? Red, you said go down 2-0 in the series. They went down, they went down 3-0 in the ALCS. That's not what I said. We'll, we'll read it again because I was switching through. Of the 26 teams to lose the first two games at home. Oh, at home. And a best of seven postseason series using the current 2-3-2 format. Only three have come back to win the series. Who am I? Oh, boy. All right, so if it's not the Red Sox, let's throw them out. Who's Our favorite Angels broadcaster pitched on this team. The Royals. Are, right, we're okay, not... that's great. The Royal win. Oh, uh, They've only won one World Series before the one they won recently. Yeah, so 20, uh, so 85. 1985. Uh, this team shocked shocked the uh, – was Billy Bean on this team? <laughs> Billy Bean was around this team. <laughs> this team shocked the Boston Red Sox and shocked the baseball world. Billy Bean was on this team. Uh, the Twins in 87? Nope. I don't know, then. 86 Mets. Oh, oh, in the World Series, yeah. And this one I knew. I thought this was pretty easy. Oh, just tell me. The 1996 Yankees. Oh, against... Andrew Jones comes out, popping home runs. They're down 0-2 going to Atlanta. This thing's over. Wow, those are only three. Oh. That's I, only three. I think the stat, too, was um, the uh, what was the one I saw about? Where is the stat about? Game one is huge. Teams take a 1-0 lead in these series have won 119 of 185 or 64% of time in baseball history. 23 of 26 teams to lose the first two games at home in the best of seven. Uh, 23 of 26. Yeah, so there's your stat. There were only three teams that have ever done it. It's crazy that when you said Billy Bean, I first thing I thought, I'm like, okay, it's not the A, so it has to be the Twins. Or Detroit, but Detroit was pretty good when they started out 35-5. and five. I don't think they were going to lose games in the playoffs. All right, let's start with one uh, buying or selling here. We kind of talked about Shoya Otani earlier, but they missed the playoffs again. He returned home on t- Tuesday, and he spoke with the Japanese media at the airport, and he said it was a good season for me personally, but not so good for the Angels. He went 15-9 with a 2-3-3 ERA. That's the team spirit. Hit 34 home runs, drove in 95, and hit 273. But his, he said... I have to say that August, September in particular felt longer to me than last year. You mean when he was actually at his best? Yeah, when he was doing well and the team wasn't. When the team's already done, he's at his best? Yeah, it was a, a long year for Otani, but he, he, went on the, he went on to say that we were not able to play as good as many games as we'd like, including 14 consecutive losses. 
So I have a negative impression of this season. Remember, the Angels fired Joe Madden Norton, that 14-game losing streak. Otani did sign a one-year uh, $30 million deal for next year. Buying or selling next year will be Shohei Otani's last season as an Angel. So you're saying he plays next year for them? Well, yeah, he signed that one-year $30 million deal. Oh, he could get traded. But he signed that deal to avoid arbitration, so... He would play, yeah. In theory, he would play next year unless they traded him. Buying or selling, it's his last. I guess I would buy. Wow. I think there's a lot of unknowns with the Angels. By the way, the Angels are on the clock now with the A's and the Rays about a new ballpark, about the future of their organization. So I'm not going to be all that shocked. Um, if there's some definite uh, definite movement and trying to move contracts and try and change things around. Trout, I would say, is not going to get moved. But if Otani is not going to re-sign, if you're like, hey, listen, here is a contract. This is what we believe. If you believe you're not going to be able to re-sign him and he's now like, I have to take my talents elsewhere. If he's going LeBron James... Um, I don't think he's going to South Beach. But who knows? Maybe he wants to be Marlon. You're gonna, you're going to, uh, gonna have to move him. By the way, Otani in the first month at 247. Let's see what he hit in the second month. 250. Then in June, oh, they're out of it. Here he comes. What do you hit? 298. 298. Let's see August. What do you hit in August? Uh, 317. What, what about July? I think you skipped July. Uh, July was... Was it 224? Oh, boy. 224. But look, in August, 317. September, it's 313. October, 190. <laughs> Again, well, he he didn't do anything against the A's. He, the I mean, series. the end of the year, and his pitching at the end of the year when there was nothing on the line became phenomenal also. Yeah, um... Oh, yeah, he was made his last start against the A's, correct? Was that against was Ken? That against, was that the Waldachuk game? Against Waldachuk, last yeah, game of the year. Yeah. Outdueled by Ken yeah. Waldachuk. Everyone remembers Steve about home run, but no, not everyone remembers Waldachuk. I seven remember scoreless. Waldachuk. Uh, okay, this, I'm just going to ask. Buying or selling, Shohei Otani will make $50 million a year. Uh, I'd buy that. I think he's going to be the first $50 million player. He's worth anything he makes because of the money he brings in. Think, think about it. This See, he is a guy that you can actually talk return on investment. What? Okay, I sign him. What What money comes with him? Yeah. And that's a boatload of money. Like, think of it this way. Steph Curry is making $48 million this right now starting this season. Totally worth every yeah. penny he gets. And he's due to make $59.7 million at the end of his contract when he's going to be 37 years old with the Warriors. So almost $60 million, but you know what he brings in for the he's Warriors. He's worth every penny. Just like, you know what LeBron James is going to bring to the Lakers. He's worth every maybe penny. LeBron, maybe Otani could be that guy for Major League Baseball and the Angels if he stays with them. He's worth, I mean, he's worth, well, it doesn't matter where he plays. Because, I mean, all of Japan is following him. He could be playing for the uh, what's Fre is it Fre Fresno's not the Grizz Grizzlies anymore. Yeah, they're Grizzlies. They they're he, but they're he, they're low A now. He could be he could be playing for the Fresno Grizzlies and they'd be making money. Yeah, well, that'd be the most watched minor league game in the history of baseball. Talent, all Japan is watching every day. 
Be, I mean, what, 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 what did Mark Langston tell us before about their YouTube numbers, how, how high they were when they were on a YouTube game? Yeah, how about just, like, the merch? Like, people come in, and they have all this memorabilia that's fresh. You know, he signed something, and they put it up. And I don't know if it goes to their charity. Like, everything we do goes to the A's Community Fund. But uh, Langston told us this one couple, within, like, a span of two days, bought, what was it, over $50,000 worth of memorabilia. Like, one day spent, like, 30-something, then the next day came in and spent... I mean, it's just like... I mean, can you imagine an A's player generating over $50,000? And I know, you think fifty grand in Major League Baseball is not a lot of money, but that's just one family wrote a check. Boop! For merchandise. F- not tickets, merchandise. Mer- for memorabilia, not yeah. even oh, merch. Yeah. Oh, so it's... Okay, so balls or bats. stuff. Yeah. Wrote a check two days for over $50,000. The amount of money they're making off Shohei Otani, yeah, 50, 50 million, no, no, I'm buying. Yeah, the, they, uh, there was a documentary I watched the other night on HBO Max. What was it? Uh, Monday night I watched it. Uh, on Jeremy Lin and the Lin Sanity run in 2012 and how much money, like when he took off in New York, all the games he had, and then he had the big game against the Lakers and Kobe, he dropped 38 at the Garden. Oh, looks like Blake Snell's done. He just got the handshake from Bob Melvin. The under is hit. So I finally got it right. Uh, how much money Lynn made in that little uh, two-week span? Like, how much money the Knicks and Madison Square Garden made from all the merchandise that he made bringing in from all the success he had as an Asian-American player in the NBA? That run was incredible. I mean, he's not showing I mean, what Otani's doing. <laughs> I mean, if he continues for the next couple of years, whatever team he plays for is not the Angels is going to make a lot of money, and we know that going forward. All right, last one. Nolan Arnauto had a great season in St. Louis in 2022. He might finish second in the MVP. Who knows? He had a 7.9 war. He had 30 homers, had a 292, drove in 102 runs, and had an 891 OPS. But the big question looms over him, will he opt out of his contract? Remember, he had opt-outs when he signed that deal with Colorado. Uh, he has five years remaining on his deal. Early reports indicate that he will not opt out this year. How much but, is it for five years? Uh, five years and like $150 million or something like that. Ooh. Let me let – me, it, it was somewhere around there. Uh, buying or selling Nolan or Arenado will remain a St. Louis Cardinal. Oh, I'm buying. I mean, why would you leave St. Louis? I mean, once you play there and this packed every night, and that's a baseball crazed town, and it's just not the town. I mean, they own basically the Midwest. I mean, they've got Cardinal radio affiliates in Texas. Yeah, I remember they own the Midwest all those years. So all these people in the Midwest, throughout the entire Midwest, are Cardinal fans. Their fan base is massive, absolutely massive. And the love you get, yeah, I don't. And he's smart. Like, five years, $150 million guaranteed, you're going to say no to that? I mean, I wouldn't, but I'll see if I can find it real quick. How much he's supposed to make? Because the deal he signed initially was like, I forget, like, what was it? Eight years, 260 is what he... Uh, he has 179 million remaining on his contract over the next six years. The thing he won't opt out, but who knows? He could change his mind. I mean, at his age, 30, gonna be 31 next year. And you got 179 million coming, and you're gonna opt out of that. And you're happy, and you're in a place that you like playing. Like, like, like a guy like um, uh, Carlos Rodon for the Giants has is gonna make like 22 million next year. He can opt out. He'll make more money next year. After the year he had. Where, but where are you going to go if you're Nolan Arenado? That's a better situation. There's probably not many. What are you going to go play third for the Yankees? 
they're not going to give you 30. But who they, says he wants to go play? What, who says he wants – Aaron Judge hits 66, 62. Yeah. And actually, you know, they're booing him in the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe you're like, eh, I want to do that. Yeah, well, yeah. Remember, the Yankees wouldn't give Aaron Judge 211 Maybe million. he goes back to Southern California and plays for the Dodgers. Arnado or Judge? Arnado. He's from there. High school teammates with Matt Chapman. Could see that. I, I th- honestly think you said about swagger and building toughness if you're the Dodgers. Perfect guys out there as a free agent right now. I think Carlos Correa smells like a Los Angeles Dodger. Will, will they want him there after the 2017 sign ceiling scandal? I don't know, but he's a guy that has he has it, and they need a shortstop because Trey Turner's a free agent. I, th- I could see him being the guy. You bring him in, you still have all that money to spend. How long How long, and how much do you have to give him? What, what The Twins gave him, what, three for 101 with all the opt-outs? Maybe give him something similar with opt-outs if you want, or if you want to keep him long-term, you give him know, eight years, $200 million or something. That's a little low. 220. He's only 27. He's in the prime of his yeah, career. Yeah, did you see his numbers? Yeah, he wasn't. Not healthy again. His numbers aren't spectacular. He, that, that back injury for him is always going to be a thing. He's always going to have that bad back. Uh, 291, 22 homers, 64 runs driven in, 834 OPS. It's not bad. It's not great. I mean, it's not, you know, $30 million a year great, but, I mean, no one, uh, I mean, I know Anthony Rendon's making that, and he doesn't even play. He 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 doesn't view himself as, as what his numbers are. No, and uh, that segment he did on uh, TBS was fantastic. Where he broke down what player, what you know, what players are looking at now, with their numbers and pitchers and the stuff he looks at. He's a smart player, and he was good on there as an analyst. Um, I mean, him and I think Granderson's great, and I think uh, Jimmy Rollins is good too. It's better than the Fox crew. Well, true, and we're gonna have to get that for the. I think. The World Series is on Fox. We're going to have to get that for the uh, uh, World Series as well. All righty. Don't forget, next Friday, not this Friday, next Friday, we are having a Game 1 World Series watch party, Fieldwork Brewing in San Leandro. Tell your family, tell your friends. We'll be there at 1 o'clock. First pitch is going to be at 5 o'clock. Once again, a watch party. It's beers and baseball. Beers and baseball. Is there something wrong with that? No, it's a great alliteration, beers and baseball. Beers and baseball. Fieldwork Brewing in San Leandro next Friday, game one of the World Series. All righty, who do we got on Friday? Uh, we're going to have Hembo joining us. We'll have Raleigh Fingers, Eno, and De- uh, Dave Feldman, Feldy. The great Dave Feldman. All right, we want to thank Todd Callis. We want to thank Jim Callis. Todd Callis, one of the voices of the Astros, Jim Callis, of course, MLB Pipeline, MLB.com. Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. And Shooty Babbitt will be a reschedule. Uh, Shooty said he'll be home next Friday, so I'm asking to see if, he can, if he's going to be able to make it to field work for us. I don't think, I don't think he texted me back yet. Um, no, he hasn't said anything back yet. But he said he is here, and I told him that Bip would be there too. Awesome. All righty, we'll be back on Friday at 1 o'clock. Don't forget, next Friday, not this Friday, the Friday after the 28th, 28th, yeah. We will have game one of the World Series. We'll have a watch party, one to five, Fieldwork Brewing in San Leandro. Come by and see us. We're going to have prizes to give away. You guys love free stuff. That's what we should just say. A's Cast Live, game one of the World Series, free stuff. Fair enough. Sounds good to me.
That's what's going to happen. But we will be back this Friday at 1 o'clock for A's Cast Live. Thank you for listening and watching, everybody. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. Great news! Our indoor dining is back, along with our beautiful patio dining. Come taste our world-famous chicken pie that has been served in Southern California for 83 years. The Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek has one of the most dynamic menus, plus a full bar. Pot pies, gourmet burgers, sandwiches, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget, we still do takeout and delivery. For all the information, go to chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.